Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hello, friends, and welcome to A Little More Good, the podcast where myself, Dean Morris, or Deaner, and my good pal, Zach Berman of The Juice Truck, explore themes that light us up. Things like human potential, coexisting with our planet and its inhabitants, and the fascinating area where wellness, mindfulness, sustainability, movement, business, and our own evolution and adventure intersect. A Little More Good is inspired by community and our collective potential. It is inspired by those that have walked this path before us, both locally and globally. Our mission is to connect intentionally and genuinely with the goal of planting seeds that foster growth and help us all discover the fullness of our own human potential. So join us as we have fun and meaningful conversations centering on human stories that inspire us to get out and live full, healthy, and meaningful lives. Our intention is to create dialogue that is not only interesting to listen to, but inspires you to take what you've learned through the conversation and apply it to your own life in a meaningful way. So let's get to it, and together we can create a little more good. Welcome back to the Juice Truck Podcast. We're here with one of our favorite people, Desiree Nielsen, our, uh, our favorite dietitian. Um, one of those people that's just, you know, genuinely a good person. If you check out her Instagram, if you listen to some podcasts, if you get one of her two soon-to-be-three cookbooks, or check out her TV show, our YouTube clips, our, our um, you know, I, I see you've got, like, you can text you anytime on your Instagram. Yes, you can now text me. You get a direct line to Desiree via text. Yeah, because of the future. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, one of, one, of, one of the overall genuine good people of Vancouver. So thank you for taking the time to, to drive down and hang out with uh, Dean and myself today. Oh, that intro alone is like, I'm, and I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> All right, yeah. thanks, That's guys. it. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Should we call it a day? Yeah. 
love it. I love it. Yeah, so good. It's so good to meet you and, and be with you. Um, all of our kind of conversations so far have been very much like uh, friends sitting together and just learning about each other. Um, I've said before on the pod and to everyone, but it's like worth repeating is that I think one of the best ways people can learn is through hearing other people's stories and like often how they came to be where they are at now. And it just shares us perspective. It's not just information, but it's like a human story that becomes really interesting and compelling. And then ultimately um, those stories shape us and leave impressions on us where we can then make maybe some changes in our own lives to um, become more like holistically well, mind, body, and soul. And so, yeah, I, I hope that our conversation today will do that for us in this room and for anyone tuning in and listening, um, that we can, we can learn a few things and perhaps um, make some adjustment, adjustments uh, based on what we hear here or can text you <laughs> or follow <laughs> yeah, you for sure yeah. and, and follow up and learn more, right? Because there's lots of work to be done. And obviously anything you hear on a podcast, like, before you make significant changes, like make sure you check in with any yourself, Desiree, or like a healthcare professional to be to make sure you're you're safe, right, and looked mm -hmm. after. But uh, I'm excited to to go to get into it. Yeah. yeah. So maybe on that note, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got to be where you are? What what started the interest in you for like nutrition and looking at you know how people are eating, what we're eating, what are the best things we could be eating, and use that as a way to kind of jump into our conversation today. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because it was so long ago, but you know, if I ever like, especially because hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Like and when I was 18, I probably didn't have this sort of clear sightedness. But when I think about, you know, as a teenager, what I was really into, I was really into science. So I was really sort of driven by this like fascination to understand how things worked. And, you know, there were a couple little moments in my life where I sort of interacted with nutrition, but it definitely wasn't something that was top of mind. And uh, it wasn't until I became vegetarian. Um, gosh, I keep saying that I was 17. My mom thinks I was 16 when yeah. I became vegetarian. So it was extra long ago. Yeah, and that, uh, that's like pretty cutting edge for a 16 year old too. And even in Victoria, you, like I grew up in Victoria and you would think we were all vegetarian, right? Yes. We were all munching carob and like no dairy in the 90s, but we weren't. Like yeah. it was really weird. Yeah. They're like, well, you don't want a hot dog? Like what? Right. <laughs> so um, I think that was the first time that I really brought my eating habits into my conscious awareness. Yeah. And I think that just sort of cracked a door open for me. And I started getting just really curious mm -hmm. about like everything. Um, and was that like accepted at that time? I know Victoria was like more into at that alternative movements and fringe movements and like more of a holistic uh, way of living. For sure. Um, was it because I remember like even myself when I went vegetarian at 20, it was it was like people were like, why? Like, do you want to lose weight? Like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> um, was it accepted at that time within your community? Yeah, it was accepted. They're still like, all right, chicken's good. But like, yeah. I get you. You you let your freak flag fly. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. totally fine. Like, yeah. for some people, it's, you know, yoga. And it was for yoga for me, too. But yeah, I definitely think that Victoria was that sort of environment yeah. where, like, you could just be who you were, even as a teenager, which was kind of awesome. That's cool. Yeah, no, that's great. It's pretty awesome. Um, and so I just started reading a lot. And, you know, back in the day, the books on nutrition that were available, like, 
it was pretty bait. Like it was yeah. not a lot out there. And so I sort of discovered like Andrew Weil and yes. like that, like that was it for me. Yeah. Like I was like, it's like wellness Santa Claus <laughs> and he's got this like halo of magic around yeah. him. And he was just talking about like this freaky stuff. Like, taking big doses of vitamin C for yeah. your immune system or like buying yourself flowers yes. to support. Like, I was just like, what? And okay. so my love of nutrition actually, I think was sort of like started as a love of medicine and I cool. wanted to do what he did. And so I went into nutrition at UBC thinking that I was going to be a doctor. Wow. That was because I was like, nutrition is a big part of medicine. Now yeah. I know. Yeah. And, uh, but medical school doesn't offer it. So I was like, I'll go get a degree in nutrition yeah. and that'll make me a better doctor Yeah. because I wouldn't get it otherwise. And then I realized that like, I think all of the ways, especially because back then, yes. like there weren't like integrative medical clinics. I actually dreamed that was my dream yeah, when I was right. like 19. I was like, going to open this like integrated medical clinic with like massage therapy and like naturopath and all these kind of things that like no one had ever heard of before. And that's like totally normal now. Yes. Um, normal here. Yes, normally yeah, here. Yeah. We live in like a weird a little, wellness bubble yes. on the West Coast for sure. Super lucky. Yeah. So we got to turn it blue. We got to turn the bubble blue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the blue zone. Yeah, exactly. That would be so cool. But. Um, so I thought to myself, you know, I think that I can do what I envision for my work as a dietitian. Yeah. And so I just struck this deal, especially because like it took me a long time to actually get my degree. Um, and I was like in my mid twenties yeah. and like, I was like, I want to have a family. So I was like, I will become a dietitian and I'll give myself five years. Yeah. And if I don't like it, yeah. I will write the MCAT and I will find some medical school to let me in. <laughs> but it's been, gosh, 12, 12, still kicking. So yeah. we're good. <laughs> <laughs> it's been 12. I think I'm in it to win it. You're in it. And two, almost three books later. Like, I yeah. I, f I feel like dietetics is my jam. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. Help me understand. So like a, like a typical general practitioner, like the doctor that you go see when you, I have this rash or cough or whatever it might be, they don't have nutrition training at all. No. And it really depends via like per school but you know so the classic was that maybe you got a few hours of nutritional biochem yeah. and like that was it really uh but i mean times are changing okay. and i believe that some medical schools are sort of bringing in a little bit more of a nutrition aspect but it's more in like a couple weeks like it's a little bit of a module like it's just a little taste right but even that's really important because like in our practice we see a big difference now where physicians are actually saying you should go see a dietitian. Like there's yes. this low FODMAP diet thing for your IBS, go see a diet, which is mind blowing. Cause a decade ago that almost never happened. Right. Like, you're case. like over here, like we can help. <laughs> we can help. I promise. Right. Which oh. is so cool because dietetics is more of a preventative, um, like let's find the root cause of this versus, you know, necessarily, just treating symptoms. Um, I guess you are treating symptoms, but you're looking at like the, the whole yeah. spectrum of what's what's going on versus you know prescribing a pill or, or whatnot. Totally. And I think you know nutrition and there's there's always this thing between like holistic nutrition and like conventional nutrition, but yes. like I mean really at its foundation, nutrition is holistic. The idea that you would use food to 
help like optimize your well-being or help you heal when you're unwell is like the most holistic thing it's yes. more holistic than supplements like more holistic than anything else right. like no kidding. feed your body yeah yeah well it's like yeah. what's the um the greek philosopher let thy food be thy medicine right yeah and then even even if you think just on a very like simple simple level or there's the kind of cliche of like oh when you're home sick the best thing is like chicken noodle soup right yeah. like this growing up we thought like if our mom, if our mom made us homemade yeah. chicken noodle soup or whatever kind of soup yeah. it was that like that's gonna Dan's help got, us Dan's to get a sniffle get that chicken noodle <laughs> soup <laughs> right but there's this like almost intuitive sense of like yeah, yeah food is what we need to be well right so that's so interesting i'm shocked i'm just having this moment of like recollection i had a, a few years back i went to my doctor who's a yeah. fantastic doctor she was my my family doctor since i was born um, and I was like having some gut issues. So I went to go see her and explained it. And then I remember like, it was such a shock cause she just took out her pad of like paper and wrote on it. And then she tore it off and passed to me. And she asked me like, do you have the, in- do you have access to the internet? I was like, <laughs> I said to her, I was like, well, I have the internet in my pocket. Like, yes. I She's like, okay, Google this. Like this was her prescription. And she passed me the paper and it was IBS. Oh She's like, Google this. And like, this will help you like follow some of the things you find. And I was like, this is your like professional medical advice. And she had never missed, like she was so good. Yeah. I'm mean, still like a bad doctor, but I was like, I just felt kind of like, that's it. But now hearing that it's like, it's not really more than, you know, maybe granted times are changing, like you said, yeah. but it's not more than a day or a unit. No wonder. And, you know, especially, but especially with gut health stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing gut health, like for pretty much my whole practice. And, there is, it's still such an unknown. It's still such a black hole. And there's a lot, like there's a ton of research, particularly around what is actually happening. So like, let's actually lay out what are the pathways, what's going on in the body. There's a ton of research on like, okay, well, what about medications? Like what medications are doing what in what condition, but nutrition for digestive health is a massive black hole. Like I have one gold standard evidence-based diet at my disposal and that is the gluten-free diet and celiac disease yeah like that's it like mm-hmm. technically like lofodmep is close to gold standard for irritable bowel syndrome can you explain but, what that is just for yeah so lofodmep is a diet where um you for a short period of time and that's really critical this is not meant to be forever you remove foods that are really high in FODMAPs, which okay. are the fermentable oligo dye and monosaccharides and polyols, which is why we say FODMAPs in the first <laughs> yeah. place. Oh, okay. uh, and really, like, in English, it's <laughs> super fermentable carbohydrates. Okay. They're fermentable because by quirk of their biochemistry or yeah. our physiology, we don't digest and absorb them 100%. Okay. So the one that most people know is like lactose and dairy. Like okay. most of us are some degree of lactose intolerance yeah. by birth. Uh, and then so we lack the enzyme to keep up with sort of modern North American dairy consumption. Mm-hmm. So any lactose that's not absorbed, because if something's absorbed, it's no longer dealing with your gut. It's no longer messing with it. Yeah. But so the lactose stays in your gut. It's a sugar. It draws water to it by osmosis, like mm-hmm. going back to like high school. Yeah, totally. Like, Bio- oh, osmosis, yeah, yeah. I didn't want to think about it. Osmosis <laughs> means mo H2O. That's how yeah. I remembered it for the test. <laughs> yes. Wow, nice work, dude. And that is happening in your gut. There you go. When you consume <laughs> to more lactose than you can digest. But then also it hits your colon. 
And so as soon as it hits your colon, it's yeah. like entering a bioreactor because you've got trillions of microbes there right. and it's a sugar. Microbes love sugar. They're going to munch it. They're going to ferment. They're going to make a lot of gas. Mm. And there you go. That's yeah. what happens in IBS. IBS. Lots of gas, lots of bloating. Right. A lot of people. Yeah, discomfort, diarrhea, all the lovely stuff. Mm. And I think about all the people that just accept that as like normal. They're just yeah. like, this is what I have. Or they probably don't even have a label on it. I have, I have a sensitive stomach or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And they just live their whole life not being able to... Uh, and enjoy the foods that they should or yeah, yourself yeah, <laughs> or like have, have anxieties about like what to eat or what not to eat um, so it's great that like we're now putting labels on things and, and there's people like you that are able to like direct yeah. you know yeah. the collective awesome to like <laughs> and here's why yeah with some like actual information and it's so yeah. interesting too like I know that you you advocate for like a plant-based um, lifestyle plant, plant-based diet and like even just hearing you say that our bodies aren't like we're not equipped to process lactose, like, and then, but, but we're like, oh yeah, like milk in the cereal, cheese in the sandwich, yeah. like, and we don't even think about it. And, and we're, we're often told, or we grow up with like, these things are, are healthy foods for us yeah. that are going to help us be strong and have, you need your dairy because you got to have strong bones. And it's like, I, growing up, I didn't know what kale was and let alone like, how can a vegetable have calcium? Like, that doesn't make <laughs> sense. But like that our bodies are not made to really consume this or this much of what we're consuming. Well, you know, and especially with dairy, and even the notion, you know, I'm getting philosophical in my old age, but like even the notion (laughs) of like, what is healthy? Like who Mm. decided, how did we decide? Like what evidence do we have for that? And you know, dairy is a really interesting one. Like, especially as a dietitian, like dietitians are big on dairy. dietitians as a whole are like super pro dairy like yes. that's sort of in the dna it's expected and but it's a food that's not like certain human dairy is designed for humans and yes. like we're meant and designed to consume that and we're really not like meant and designed to consume the other one but because it has calcium and calcium is critical mm-hmm. we sort of latched on to it as this like really important way to get this calcium that's you know so important for your bones and for your nervous system but it's not the only game in town and there are so many ways to get calcium and it's really easy to get calcium like i almost never worry about it so what are some what are some like vegetables and fruits and stuff like that are like calcium is very available if people are concerned about cutting so dairy out of their diet greens are a big one and cooked because the thing with greens is that you want to concentrate yeah what's in them and so like if you you know if you take like one of those big clamshells of spinach and then you put in the pan and you're like i barely have enough to feed a toddler like you know right it's like all that calcium is going into that like little half cup serving um tahini and blackstrap molasses are really beautiful Mm. sources of calcium and i do really think you know especially because in north america we're so designed to consume dairy like having a plant-based milk in your life daily is really convenient yes we add the calcium to it but it works just the same as the other stuff So, you know, having your oat milk latte and just, it's an easy sort of like habitual thing to get into. So you're getting those big doses, but tofu is really high in calcium too. And most people don't expect that. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I mean, I feel like we're going to probably jump all over the place and like nutrition (laughs) questions and health questions, but since we're talking about guy health and that's when your expertise, why don't we just kind of dig into that for a little bit? Um, If someone is having gut issues or experiencing IBS, obviously there's like, you can't prescribe one you know, eat chia seeds and all will be well. But are there like some (laughs) general tips that, um, you know, people can add to their their day 
um, to hopefully take them start their path into feeling better? Totally. So, you know, I always start, for me, it's really important, particularly in gut health and in the wellness space. Uh, we're still in this kind of zone where we will go to the elimination first. Yes. And what people need to know if something is going on with their gut, probably the most dangerous thing you can do is to start eliminating okay. right off the bat. And the reason why is because the gut is where we learn tolerance. Mm. When you take something via the oral route, because there are so many immune cells, like 70% of our immune system is like wrapped up and intertwined within our gut. The way that the body learns that like, hey, peanuts are normal is we introduce peanuts in our you know, human diet at a very specific time yes. in our sort of like immunological learning yeah. so that we label it as okay. Yeah. And so, you know, as adults, when we're like, oh, you know, like it's probably gluten or, you know, it's probably soy. And we're like, I'm just going to ditch it. Yes. Elimination actually breeds further intolerance. Right. And so when I see people who appear to be not tolerating certain foods, yeah. um, beyond something that, you know, seems like it might be gluten and I'm going to send them to get tested for celiac disease yeah. right away. Beyond something like that, um, I see those symptoms as a sign that the gut isn't operating the way that it should. And so I go to a few simple foundations. The first is like, what does their overall diet look like? Yeah. So if it's way more sort of like fast food and Red Bull and, yeah. you know, like a lot of like my very ill clients are like that. Like yeah. when I see someone with like Crohn's disease, yeah. they're coming to me and they're totally eating like... Yeah. assembly line sandwiches and Red Bull. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I can help you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And just doing that, just bringing in more fresh foods, more whole foods can be absolutely transformative. Yeah. So that's sort of like layer one. Okay. And if someone is on that, let's say that processed fast food diet, and yeah. then all of a sudden they're having like kale salads, can they expect a little bit of a like transition period of yeah. feeling some, you know, extra gassiness or some totally. bloat Right. Totally. There's definitely like, you know, you got to take it slow. Yeah. Just like you cannot run a marathon, yeah. you know, off the couch in five days. Like you can't go from that life to like 40 grams of fiber overnight yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, because you will think I'm the worst dietitian in the world and I know nothing. Yes. Um, you really do have to train your gut. And yeah. I think that's the other thing too, is that digestive tract likes consistency. So if you're someone who skips meals all the time, like really erratic sleeping habits, um, you eat a certain way for like three days and then like totally the opposite for like four days, your gut isn't going to love that. Mm. So it's about sort of setting some consistent meal times, really gradually bringing in those whole foods, um, starting with things that are like easier, like maybe some salads, like yeah. maybe some more fruit before yeah. we, you know, get into the heavy hitters, like <laughs> legumes, all that kind of stuff. So you want to bring those plant foods into your diet. Um, the other thing that's really important, particularly if anyone is really experiencing like a lot of loose stools, you yeah. always want to go get that checked out by your doc okay. first because there can be infections that are causing that um, and other things that can be causing that that you don't just want to dismiss. Like you said, like I'll see people and they're like, well, I've sort of had diarrhea for like two years yeah. Yeah. I'm like oh my gosh like yeah. <laughs> I, we normalize I mean we can normalize so many things yes. but particularly when it's happening inside our body we can normalize this is just how I am mm -hmm. and you suffer through it and while you know like not everything can fix everything 
we can all feel massively better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and we owe it to ourselves to sort of explore that so we can feel really good. 100%. Yeah, Yeah. we should never accept, you know, feeling bad. There's always always a way to improve or or to try to improve, even if it's like 1%, you know, that's, you know, spending 1% better for the rest Mm -hmm. of your life is an improvement. Um, Okay, so we got your fast food diet. If someone's coming to you from like a medium, you know, diet how would you kind of walk them through that yeah so I would look at a few things um particularly if their diet looked you know fairly balanced and fairly healthy um I would try and greatly increase their fiber so the irony is when our gut isn't great um the foods that will help us get better are often the ones that are sort of the most irritating in the short term so we'll really individualize like so oh, you get super gassy, like, every time you have beans, like, how can we figure that out? And I will start with, like, okay, so quarter of a cup. Yeah. We will eat a quarter of a cup of chickpeas every single day until you no longer notice you're eating those chickpeas, and we'll build it up. But the other thing I really look at is stress. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Stress is, I feel like most of us are like, yeah, stress isn't great for our bodies, but when it comes to our gut in particular... Um, we vastly underestimate the impact that it's having. You know, I've had so many clients who just, they're following all of my advice to the letter. Like, they're like, why am I not getting better? And so often it's stress. Hmm. It is stress. And we can identify that either they're just... Their baseline, they have anxiety, um, or they work 70 hours a week. And they're like, okay, so you might not think you're stressed, but objectively, and I do this really well for my clients and not for myself, by the way, (laughs) so just in case (laughs) you think I live this completely zero stress life. But, you know, and so you have to take steps to neutralize that. And I know for myself, because I have IBS as well, like it's 100% stress. So the vast majority of my energy, because my diet's in place, the vast majority of my energy is like moving every day outside, yeah. you know, like ashwagandha, magnesium, L-theanine on repeat, like Oof. evening, like I'm very heavily focused on giving myself those outlets to bring my stress down. Mm-hmm. And that's what I need to keep my gut in balance. That's so interesting. So like, obviously during this time, um, you know, we're in the COVID pandemic and everyone's anxiety and stress is like through the roof, you know, whether it's financial or circumstantial or like not seeing your friends or family, like all of our routines are kind of out the door. Um, so are there ways that, um, I guess two questions, like, is, is there a way that stress shows up in your gut and are there habits that you recommend that are not food related per se that can help us like decompose our, our de-stress kind of some of that? built up anxiety yeah so there are a lot of ways that stress can show up in your digestive health and this is the thing that kind of sucks about gut health is that it's all really individualized (laughs) so like um bloating yeah some people can get really bloated um and stress is often linked to both constipation and diarrhea unfortunately like anxiety poops are a thing but it could be the not pooping or the pooping way too much um because In your gut, so there's a couple of different, there's a lot of feedback mechanisms for motility or like gut movement, but a big one is serotonin. Okay. It's like 95% of the serotonin in our nervous system is actually in our enteric nervous system, our gut nervous system. And so alterations in serotonin production, um, like a classic example is with IBS, there's some line of research that uh, 
believes that people with IBSD, so like diarrhea predominant IBS, um, actually have way too much serotonin flooding their gut. Mm. So because if we get food poisoning, yes. for example, so you get like horrible like norovirus, right? Yeah. Like just the worst. Yeah. The reason why your body is expelling yeah. is serotonin. Huge releases. So the nervous system and the immune system in the gut are talking to each other. Right. And the immune system is telling the nervous system, we got to get this out of there. And then the nervous system just floods the whole place with serotonin right. and out you go. Okay. Out you go. <laughs> and so that's what's happening. It's thought in IBS is that there's so much serotonin, both potentially from like production of serotonin, but also the way that the nervous system is sort of recycling and uptaking the serotonin in the gut's just leaving too much of it out there and mm. active. So... When we're stressed, yeah. uh, we could actually have the you know anxiety poops, or we could be really constipated. And I think as a dietitian, what I do then is if someone's constipated, I look at them and I say, okay, like are all the classic things that make you constipated there? Like, are they drinking enough water? Right. Are they getting enough fiber? Are they moving their body? Are they not on like any medications that can make them constipated? And if you're like, nope, I am a marathoner and yeah. I eat nothing but plants, then I'm like, okay. Yeah. Now I'm way more interested in the nervous system and what's going on there. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. But it it's, takes that investigation. Yeah. It's not simple. And it's so amazing how like connected it all is. And like yeah. obviously so, but we think we think of our body almost in like a disembodied kind of way. Like you have these external factors like stress that make you feel stress, yeah. like maybe in your mind or in your like, you know, those classic anxiety feelings. Yeah. We don't think about it affecting like our serotonin and therefore like our gut and our, our movements, like yeah. how that would, how it impact our health that way. It's kind of thinking about like before a big sports game, like yeah. when we were like growing mm -hmm. up, you know, like if it was like the finals or something, like, you know, you'd have like two or three guys from the team, like fighting for the toilet before the tip off or whatever. Yeah. Or like, uh, you know, like when people travel, I've kind of experienced that before they've even had food, you know, they're like, yeah rushing to the toilet and like yeah. well how can you have the runs already like you haven't eaten anything but it's just like anxiety of being in a new circumstance and being yeah. like nervous or um does travel affect like it has to right it does it does what what is most common is bloating gas and constipation yeah and there's a few reasons for that. I mean, one, you are physically, you are physically sort of locked into a zone for a while. So yeah. you are, you are hindering the movement, particularly, you know, like hard pants. Yeah. Like they're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like two tight waistbands sort of locked into a sedentary position without a lot of movement. The gut needs movement to move. But then you don't eat the same you cross time zones, you mess with your circadian rhythms. And like I said, like the gut is very cyclical. Mm -hmm. Like all of these like waves that sort of help clear the gut are based on these cycles. And so also if you lose your opportunity, say you need to go to the bathroom and you are descending and no one's getting out of their airplane right. and then like you've lost your opportunity. Yeah. And depending on your gut, maybe you've lost your opportunity for 24 hours. Yes. You know, so... Any change to sort of like your routine, change to the food that you eat, 
sleeping, not sleeping, that all totally... All plays in. Yeah. But then the other kind of crazy thing about travel, for my clients particularly, because so many of them have like stress wrapped up in their digestive issues, is that people go on vacation and they feel so much better. So once they get over the like, you know, three, two, three day hump yeah. of like, maybe I didn't poop, yeah. <laughs> then you feel really, really good and you're like... I ate gelato in Italy and it totally didn't bother me and like I barely had any IBS symptoms whatsoever and that's when you know like mama Desiree is like see what I told you about stress (laughs) you know like you were not stressed and we all can't be on vacation you know 365 so you have to figure out how to deal with that when you're home but it's a really beautiful and very clear indication of what stress is doing to our bodies and particularly our guts. It's wild. And it's wild that we, we would just, again, like coming back to the fact that we would yeah. just live with it. Yeah. Like people feel unwell or they have, you know, irregular or uncomfortable like movements or, you know, and that's just like the norm. And we say, oh yeah, you know, that's how I am. Or like not going to the bathroom for three or four days. Right. And that's like, that's, that's usual for me. That must just compound the stress though. Like if you're like constipated for three or four days and you're already a stressed person, then you're like, I haven't gone to the bathroom in a while. Like that must just like, just amplify the pre-existing stress that you already have. It does, you know, and it becomes a sort of feedback loop that like stress causes your gut to sort of go offside, but then that makes you more stressed because you feel unwell and yeah. nervous about like, if I eat this, how am I going to feel? And, and I do see, you know, and it's something that we don't talk about a lot about but like a lot of my clients the degree if you don't have anything wrong with your gut yeah. it's hard to imagine how all consuming it can be like yeah. it just it is always on your mind yeah 24/7 like going out for lunch or at, to yeah. a friend's house or a first date or whatever totally yeah. you know it's a really big deal and there becomes so much fear mm-hmm wrapped up in the way your body is behaving, um, your your relationship with food, to be fearful of food, to feel really sort of lost because, you know, like everyone's got an opinion, including me, you know, like <laughs> everyone's got an opinion on what you should do or what you shouldn't do. Um, and it can be really isolating, particularly because like poop talk is not exactly yeah. like water cooler conversation. <laughs> like, like yeah. I don't know if you're ready for Donna from accounting to know how often you poop, yeah. <laughs> like, but, but we need to, right? So normalize the poop. Yeah. yeah. Normalize the poop. Right. That's a t-shirt. Yeah, that's right. Well, Maybe like, not everyone would buy it. No. It's a t-shirt. We got, we got a little, a little kid's book for my daughters is everybody poops. Right. Yeah. And then there's a, it's all like different animals and this yeah. stuff and you're like learning yeah. about it. Yeah. But it is, you know, it's, there's so much fear and it's particularly this idea of like, what is normal? Like, and I always try and differentiate what is normal, which is a bit like, it is a range, you know, we are not all the same. Our bodies are not all the same and we need to honor that because I think in wellness, we can also sort of like pathologize like normal variation, like this idea of like the perfect poop. And if you don't have a perfect, like three or four on the Bristol scale poop every single day, somehow there's something wrong with you. But then, you know, on the other side, like your common or like what is common for people or what is regular or common for you might not actually be within the realm of like physiologically normal. Mm-hmm. So it's like we're just we're so good at the binary, the like the good, bad, these extremes. And yeah. it's like it's so nuanced. Mm. And it doesn't it play into it a, a little bit too, like our our desire to even going back to the conversation about, okay, I want to switch from the Red Bull and fast food diet to the kale and like green juice diet. 
and that we want to flip the switch so quickly and then anticipate because we can, when we have a headache, I can take a pill and feel better, not think about, you know, not, not be mindful of my day and be like, oh, I really, I didn't drink any water today. Yeah. Like, that's probably why I have a headache. And maybe before reaching for the pill to like solve the problem, I could like figure out that I'm just dehydrated. Mm -hmm. And so we want to flip the switch and like be healthy. And then it backfires on, on the sense of like, now I'm more bloated or more uncomfortable. Yeah. So then we like default back to, well, it didn't work. So I'll just do this. Yeah. Right. And like the, the desire for health, I think is, is beyond like, it's looking at what is typical or what's normal for like a large amount of people and then finding your way into like what's normal and what's healthy for me and not demonizing like, oh, I go like once a day or twice a day yeah. and that's like too much or too little, but finding like what's healthy for you. Yeah. And is that part of like what you do with people is like regulate over time with them to get them to like a, a sense of yeah. comfort and health like with them? Yeah, I find that, you know, it's interesting because you spend like five years really learning the science of nutrition and like then you sort of like enter the world as a new baby dietitian and you realize that, I don't know, two thirds of like nutritionist psychology. Right. It's like, wow. darn it, maybe I should have taken a few more of those in my undergrad. Yeah. <laughs> like, totally. That and uh, microbiology classes would have been very helpful right. at this point in my career. But it's, it is because, you know, most of us, if we close our eyes and we, like, think about, like, what does a healthy plate look like? Most of us will come pretty darn close. I mean, there's going to be variations. There's going to be our keto folk and our paleo folk and our vegan folk. Yes. But like, what does your healthy plate look like when you close? Uh, it also looks like my favorite meal, which is a big kale Caesar salad. So, yes. <laughs> um, but you know, most of us get it right. So, how we get from what we know to be healthy and nourishing for our body and how we actually eat and the gap between the two. Mm. That is a little bit of nutritional knowledge, yeah. but a whole heck of a lot of psychology habit, you know, right. and like, how do you get yourself to do the thing day after day after day? And, you know, so a lot of what we do in nutrition is, is not only take a really comprehensive look at like what's going on for that person. And, and, you know, we have formulate our ideas about what might be the healthiest path for that person. Um, but it also has to work. Yeah. You know, like a classic example is with irritable bowel syndrome. Like a lot of the times, you know, my first choice might be the low FODMAP diet because in the research, like anywhere between like 60 to 80% of the time, it's going to work for wow. someone. Wow. Like that's an amazing, like if that was a drug, we would all pay a million dollars for true. it, right? Yeah, those low percentages are good. But it's also really difficult. It is incredibly time consuming and like energy consuming to like I can't eat apples or pears but you know I can eat you know I can't now I'm plant-based yeah there there are all my legumes yeah. so you know sometimes it's not going to work for that person so even though I know I have research for that diet that's not where we're going to go right because if that if taking a low FODMAP approach is going to cause that person undue hardship yeah that's not going to make them healthier. And I think that sort of speaks to that way more holistic idea of like, like what is health? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people are, they look real good on paper and then you look at them and you're like, mm, so mm, -mm. Off. Yeah, Maybe so your job would be off. so much easier if you could just speak directly to the gut. But unfortunately, <laughs> like you have to deal with the whole person yeah. to get to the gut, right? But that's also what I love so much about nutrition. I mean, 
I love because food unites us all, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, a lot of people like my hubs is insanely good at what he does, but also what he does is like pretty niche. And so like he tells you what you do and you'd be like, oh, okay, cool. You say, I'm a dietitian. Well, I've got a question for you. Like, yeah. <laughs> like everyone always wants to talk about it. Yeah. Like it's... Ask the dietitian. Absolutely. Te- text the dietitian. Yeah. Right? So, you know, I love that. I love that people are into it. Yeah. Um, I love that people are so curious about it. Um, but I also, I love putting the puzzle together of someone is coming to me. They need help. There are things they aren't happy with. Um, how do we get there? Yeah. Like, like, what is the approach? Is it the no-nonsense approach? Is it a really loving, gentle, and supportive approach? Are we going to go stepwise? Are we going to dive all in? Like, <laughs> right. you know, you got 60 minutes sitting down with something, and I've got to figure out all this, because if my approach doesn't work for the person, it doesn't matter the quality of knowledge I have. Yeah, right. Like, it's, it's a really fascinating yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it seems too daunting. If they're like, this yeah. change is too much for me, yeah. uh, maybe they're not coming back, and they're just going to be like, okay, I'm just going to have, you know, a crappy stomach that yeah. gives me issues for the, you know, it's, it's too much totally. work to change. Yeah. Um, so that, that first 60 minutes is big. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it is interesting. I'm really, it's so amazing to like be able to do this kind of work to, to really, you learn so much about people, but it also, it feels really good and also sometimes scary to know that the work that you do has like a it does have a real impact on someone's life yeah so when you were talking about like your initial vision before of like the intuitive wellness or like the holistic wellness approach of you know having different practices um are there practices along those lines that can contribute to our gut health like would you recommend acupuncture or breath work or yoga or like what are some some things beyond the plate that people can do to kind of like uh, shift that needle a little bit. Yeah. Um, I definitely feel particularly for the gut brain connection. Um, so biofeedback can be very helpful and there are actually some people with constipation that the only thing that's going to help them is biofeedback. Um, cause that gut brain can, there can really be a disconnect there. Um, and what's biofeedback? Can you explain that? Yeah. So (laughs) biofeedback, um, puts you in touch, um, often by visual means gotcha. of what is happening in okay. your body. So I just saw the magic school bus. Yeah, exactly. Right. You think this is happening, but this is really what your nerves look like right now. Um, but also sometimes there can be a visceral sort of cue, yep. this idea that you can sort of like feel a contraction somewhere yep. and learn to release that contraction. Um, so it, it just helps you to connect conscious and unconscious processes in the body, which is crazy cool. Cool. Mm -hmm. Breath work is another really big one. And I kind of feel like breath work is the new yoga. I feel like we talk about this way more, right? It's coming up. But yeah, it's for like anything to activate your parasympathetic nervous system and breath work is amazing. And I also feel like it's really accessible for people because, you know, it doesn't always come with, um, you know, a side of spirituality, which not everyone is comfortable with. And so breath work is super accessible to a lot of people. Um, I think naturopathy can be a real benefit um, for someone with digestive health. Um, But looking to someone again, because there can be... um, an inclination towards elimination diets and naturopathy, which right. I'm really, really cautious of. Yeah. But again, we're all guides, and I think that's the thing for the person, and I'm sorry that it just makes things more confusing for people, but like, even me as a dietitian, like, I am a guide. Like, yeah. you have to take what I am telling you, and it has to resonate right. 
right. with you, uh, you know, leave the rest. Right. But in some ways that makes more sense because mm-hmm. we are so individual in, in the way we take up space in the world, right? And what works for us and what doesn't work for us. I would be more skeptical of like a, oh, here's like the one size fits all kind of approach. Yeah. Then this is something, and it like, it's going to take work on your end as like the person receiving the information. You're going to have to do something with it because it's your health, right? Yeah. And it, like, I think that it's, that's a really helpful way of framing it is like that you're here among others potentially to be like a guide in getting you back to like what is your version of your healthiest self, right? Yeah. And, yeah, I think that's so important rather than, okay, we'll come see you and you'll give us like this, you know, f- eat this for yeah. two weeks straight. Here's some tinctures to take to like, Kill Candida or whatever yeah. it is, and then Bean away you go. Protocol for everyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Prescription beans. Prescription yeah, exactly. Beans. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the, the irony is, is that so often the underlying nutrition messaging will be similar for so many people yeah. because mm-hmm. eating more plants is pretty foundational, and it's gonna it's gonna help. But how how we get there is gonna look really different. Too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And who's gonna be open to that messaging right away yeah. versus someone who's like, no, like steak. Like, I'll eat a potato, yeah. you know, and maybe, like, some broccoli as long as it's, like, covered in cheese or something, <laughs> yeah, right? Like, totally. it, it's going to be a different pathway for each person yeah. to get to what would arguably be the same thing. We need more plants and more, like, yeah, whole and healthy foods yeah. and probably more fiber. I would think, like, I know I've heard a few people, like, joke around, like, North America is probably fiber deficient yeah. on on mass, right? Totally. And, like, what are... Maybe what are some ways that people can like increase their fiber intake? Like simple like hacks, right? We're all yeah. looking not not to simplify everything, <laughs> but like if it's true that we're all we could probably up yeah. our fiber intake. Um, and if people are wondering about that, what's the best way to start that journey? Yeah. And, and how much fiber is ideal? Like, yeah. You know, so people can have a gauge of like how where they are on. Like you said, it's all subjective, but if there's like a yeah. baseline that like you should be getting up this amount of fiber. Totally. What does that look like? Yeah, and there's lots of times, I mean, nutrition gives you the numbers, and that's why yes. I always like hesitate. But no, I feel like fiber is a relatively value f- judgment free number. So yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm down with it. So uh, the statistic is that in North America, we get on average about 16 grams of fiber a day. Which means a whole bunch of keeners are getting way more and the rest of us are getting none. (laughs) What does like a gram of fiber look like? So like like how much broccoli or spinach or chia seeds so we can kind of have like a visualization of what that's like. So like an apple, like an average sort of medium apple offers about four grams of fiber. A medium pear offers about five. Okay. A half a cup of beans is like anywhere from like five to like eight you have like a big salad for lunch, what yeah. would probably be? You could have almost none. And that's the that's the um, interesting, interesting thing. And that's why fiber Plot is twist. actually tricky. Tricky. That's why fiber is tricky, even for us plant folks. Sneaky fiber. Because not all plants are actually super high in fiber. Cool. Yeah. So you could if you are like a big lettucey salad person, yeah. there's like no fiber. <laughs> it's like pretty much just water. Interesting. Um, and especially if you're not adding any proteins yeah. on there. Um, so like one of my favorite like dietitian like since day one as a dietitian, my favorite dietitian fiber swap is if you eat bread every day yeah. you switch it to spreaded grain cool. two slices of spreaded grain have 10 grams of fiber yeah. 
Yeah. Easy, easy peasy. Like, what are we trying to get to again? So we're trying to get to so, and I hate the only way I know how to say this is a binary because that's where the science is. Yeah. Um, But like, so women need twenty five grams minimum of fiber a day. Yeah. Men need 38. Okay. If you're not, you know, if that binary doesn't speak to you, you can think of it really as two things. I think the reason why that binary exists is because we're looking at larger body sizes, faster metabolisms, but also the amount of food that we need. Yeah. So if you are smaller body, smaller appetite, you know, not be more sedentary, 25 is going to be more your jam. Okay. And then 38 for yeah, the opposite of that. Okay, right. <laughs> I know, that's we fair. We need 38. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To get the protein. Round it to 40. Two slices spread of grain, you're already you're a quarter of the way there, there right? Oh, yeah, quarter, yeah, okay, just 10 each. Yeah, Dang, so there you know. go. Um, beans have got to be on your plate daily. Yeah. Like, if you really want to rock fiber life, yeah. beans will do it. So, like, three quarters of a cup of lentils, and, like, no one text me if I get this off. <laughs> but I think it's about 12 grams of fiber. Okay. So lentils are particularly We're not going to hold you to the exact I know. <laughs> I know. Everyone thinks they're like, you just know all of this. I was we're, like, there's, yeah. like, thousands of we're, we're, yeah, <laughs> we're talking ballpark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. ballpark. It's, like, 12 grams of fiber and, like, three quarters of a cup of lentils. Okay. Like, not everyone can eat that out of yeah. the gate. you got to work up to that right. dose. Um, but, like, apples and pears are yeah. really high. Berries are super high. Blueberries less so, but, like, raspberries, blackberries. Cool really high um so you've got to get those sort of like hearty veg yeah. or like lots of broccoli i mean tomatoes are wonderful they're you're just not going to get a ton of fiber yeah. for them mm-hmm. like same thing like it's your kale salad yeah. not your like iceberg salad kind yeah. of thing gotcha yeah um and i've read stuff about um you know how we're all we're a very like a protein centric uh, culture here um but i've heard people talk about how fiber actually um, aids in your recovery and your inflammation more um, and in that sense allowing you to recover faster allows you to see your gains yeah. allows you to push harder and further so that you can like have the gains for those like you know gym buffs out there that are looking for right. you know that extra swellness oh, and, <laughs> that's so awesome <laughs> well because it's and it's it's inflammation yes right so it like brings it it brings it all back because where is the inflammation originating from? And for a lot of people, it's our guts. Right. Our microbiome is off. Yeah. It's married to our gut immune system. Yeah. The inflammation is there and it goes systemic. And so we need to feed our microbiome. Good bugs like plants. Like they want you to eat as much plant fiber as possible. And that will decrease. And there's even literature, there was one study that looked at the protein to fiber ratio of yes. foods. And so if you're we're eating a lot of protein and not a lot of fiber. Yeah. Like, no good. Yeah. You actually, the more you brought that fiber to protein, like, in favor of fiber up, yeah. uh, the f- way better, mm-hmm. way better gut health. And so you do, if you want to speed recovery, you want to keep the inflammation at bay, you absolutely need more fiber. Okay. And f- protein is important. And I think in the plant-based world, we sort of, like, we tend to, like, just really? dismiss it a little bit because we're so tired of talking about it. Yeah, we're like, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm fine. I'm yeah. not wasting away, guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, but all plants protein. don't have the same amount of protein. Right. So for me as a dietitian, particularly when people are like first starting on a plant-based diet, because people say, I'm just so hungry all the time. And I'm like craving carbs and craving sugar all the time. Yes. 
and is be probably because they're not eating protein. They just removed the animal foods from their plate, yeah. and they didn't put anything back. Because again, people are like, "Oh, well, beans make me gassy. I'm not going to eat yeah. them." Right? <laughs> yeah. So you know, I'm always trying to make sure that people get a concentrated plant source of protein on their plate, yeah. uh, so that they fuel their immune system, so that they don't feel weakness, so that they don't feel hunger. But yeah, we don't we don't all need like seven ounces of meat, three meals a day. We'll be yeah. just fine, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Maybe even better off, right? In the long Maybe. Run. <laughs> For the planet as well. Wow. What about like uh, fermented foods or probiotics or, um, I mean, I want to get into mushrooms as a whole, yeah. like separate, um, you know, conversation piece, but what about like, yeah, fermented foods like the kombuchas and the sauerkrauts and the kimchis and, yeah. um, you know, probiotics and, you know, cultured yogurts and stuff like that. All form. Yeah. I think, I think that, you know, ideally if, if we had our say, we should have some sort of like fermented plant yeah. every day, um, just as like general health. Yeah. And, but I think there's a lot of like misunderstanding about like what the research is on fermented foods and like are fermented foods probiotics? Like, do you need both yeah. or like is one better than the other? And they're just different. So, you know, just like how food is not a medication, uh, a fermented food is not like yeah. a clinical strength probiotic. So we really do want to consume kimchi and sauerkraut and kombucha and all these kind of things that we like um, because they will continue the education of, of our... The yeah, exactly. Because you think about it, it's, before we had a hyper-processed food system, we had way more microbes, yeah. like just in natural sort of communication with us. Like, our, you know, you just go out to the garden and like like rub it off on your leg and yeah. eat it. Yeah. You know, we just, we had a far better relationship with microbes and now most of us consume highly sterilized food, which given the nature of our food system still isn't enough to prevent us from food poisoning. That's yeah. a whole other thing, mm -hmm. but we need it, right? Yeah. Like you can't produce food for millions and not have yeah. that food to be sterile, but that's not what our body needs. So fermented food is really critical on sort of like a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but we actually have very little research to say that there's a clinically therapeutic effect Interesting. from pretty much any fermented food. Like there's a bit on kefir because yeah. kefir is unique in that it tends to be much higher microbially speaking. Yeah. Like you can get a little kefir with like 50 billion live microbes in like a tiny little thing. Yeah. Um, whereas kombucha, no way. Um, the other one that has a decent amount of research is kimchi. Oh yeah. And kimchi is, kimchi is cool. I think there's a cultural component to that because you have a, a population that you can easily study because kimchi is, is consumed three meals a day. It's a dietary staple. Yeah. yeah. And even when you look at the clinical trials, it's really funny. I, you know, if you come from like a non-Korean background, because like the control is like, you know, like 50 grams of kimchi a day. You're still eating the kimchi. And then like the, the active group is like a half a pound. Wow. <laughs> and you're That's like, crazy. if you eat a half a pound, you're probably decreasing your blood pressure, your blood sugars, improving your insulin. Like it's actually kind of, wow. it's pretty cool. That's the like, cool. kimchi research, but you have to commit to a half a pound. Like yeah. there you go. Food is not a yeah. pill. Like, yes. and then there's so many other things wrapped oh, up yeah. in that. Like how much of that is the fermentation and how much of the fact is that you're just added another half pound of vegetables to your diet. Right. <laughs> so yeah. teasing these things out in the research is, is, uh, not that easy. Yeah. 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 Like just hearing that out loud, like, is there more research and studies on this than like 
traditional Chinese medicine or some of those like more ancient kind of um, holistic medical practices because it's been like part of their culture for a longer yeah, time. You know, and it's so there's a challenge and there's always going to be a bias in interpreting the literature because it's yeah. whatever is available in English too, yeah. right? So, I mean, there's one side to that. Like most, even if papers are not written in English, they will often be an English language abstract. Yeah. Um, uploaded to PubMed, so you, you can at least see like yeah. that the research exists and the basic outcomes are there. Um, but there is a there is a big difference on what we choose to research yeah. and why. Yeah. Um, you know, and particularly nutrition research. Like I say this all the time. Like it's messy. Nutrition research is messy. Like we say a lot of things with quote-unquote certainty, but they come from studies that, fair enough, there's like 50,000 people in this study, but we ask them once a year on a questionnaire what they've been eating. Right. You know, like, are we really? Like, are we hanging our hat on this? Right. Yeah, there might be some wiggle room there. Yeah, you know, there might be some wiggle room there, and I, you know, I, I don't ever want to undermine the importance of science because it is critical, and I think one of our issues right now is this distrust in science and it's like well just because we don't understand something doesn't mean it's not accurate or the best that we have at understanding our body and our world um but nutrition is hard to study because humans are highly complex our di- i mean there's like thousands of phytochemicals in a blueberry yeah. it's like oh they're just the flavonoids thanks you know <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. how do we say Let's just give the flavonoids, see what happens. Oh, nothing happened. Therefore, the whole thing is a wash. So it is really hard to tease out the impact. And I think, you know, as research sort of matures, particularly as we get into this big machine learning aspect, which is really the future where we can have massive data sets and machines that can actually handle all of the permutations of like, you know, person X is a marathoner or just a half marathoner or like actively yeah. working or sedentarily working or like eats like seven servings of fruits and vegetables, but tons of steak or like eat seven servings of fruits and vegetables, but like only beans. Like there are just so many data points before right. we really understand. But I think, you know, despite all of that, the evidence still really confirms that there are a few basic truths. Like eat whole foods as often as possible, eat as many plants as possible. We need to rest, which we greatly underlook. (laughs) You're like, I am a champion of wellness. I sleep four hours a night. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. And what should we be striving for there? Like uh, six, eight, 10, 12? It's, it's, I see six to eight and I see seven to nine. Yeah. And you know, most new parents (laughs) yourself are like, (laughs) never, (laughs) but I've come out on the other side. I'm like, I actually do get like, I have to work at it. I have to remind myself to shut down. But, like, yes. I do actually get close to seven hours a night again, nice. which is life-changing. Yeah. Sleeping again, you realize. You're like, oh. It's amazing that you can survive without it. It but, is amazing. But what you can do once you have it. Um, yeah. Like, just even thinking in sports, like, these, like, the, have you seen, like, the whoop or whatever it's called? Like, yeah, it, yeah. like it kind of measures your recovery. And, like, it just really is putting an emphasis on sleep for all these mm-hmm. these people. Um, kind of speaking about the sports, I wanted to ask you, just personally, uh, selfishly, like, so both Dean and I are both into, like, running and cycling, and, um, you know, a lot of the people we hang with are kind of along those lines. So, you know, I see the keto diet and paleo diet and all these, like, kind of, like, high-protein, high-fat diets, and then I'm, like, I'm 
my body reacts the best to the complete opposite when I'm, when I'm running or cycling and it's like a lot of carbs and a lot of sugar. Um, can you kind of speak to like how that, like if you're, if you're doing a lot of output, whether it's running or cycling or CrossFit or whatever, like, can you speak to the, the positive aspect of carbs and sugar and then potentially the dangers as well? So we can kind of see both both perspectives. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, carb is such a loaded term, which blows my mind. It's just a macronutrient. Like we got three of them. Like, which one are we going to hate this decade? (laughs) Well, it's like rebranded every five years. So it's like Atkins diet. And then it becomes like, what was it? It was like paleo and then it was keto. Like they're all kind of like, I'm probably speaking out of term, but like they're kind of the same. Like, I know. And except for keto, although keto done well should still have lots of plants. Like what they all have in common is whole foods, lots of plants, you know, like we're not that different. We can come together. Oh, I didn't say carnivore diet. That's Oh yes. That one. I just, (laughs) you know, the fact that that was the top Google search of, I think last year, the number one diet search on Google was the carnivore diet. If not 2019, it was 2018. And it just blew me. I was like, how is this even a thing? But you get a few, a few uh, notable people who talk about it for their platforms. So they only eat steak now, and it's cure, curing their bodies of whatever. And then, yeah, yeah, it's clearly shocking. it doesn't. Yeah, but like clearly that's not what we're advocating for. <laughs> but I think, yeah, carbs. Again, people have this sort of collective fear and mistrust of carbs, but our body was actually designed to run on carbohydrates. So. Unless you have made the switch into a ketogenic metabolism, which yeah. is a whole like metabolic fail safe. Like yeah. if that was our like, if all else fails, go, you know, flip into we keto when you're starving. Which is kind of a survival state, right? It is a survival mechanism. So it wasn't really designed for, for long term. Yeah, it wasn't. So we are designed to run on glucose. Like yeah. that's the energy currency of the body. So I, you know, even knowing that should give us some pause about like freaking out about carbs. Yeah. Um, but then everyone is going to have a different carb tolerance. Yeah. And this is something that is, it is language that's really borrowed from the keto community. And I think every, every little thing, every little sort of fad teaches us something, you know, yeah. and that is something that keto does teach us. And the research around keto does teach us that everyone has a different carb tolerance. So like you go and bike for hours, yeah. you know, you burn carbs, like yes. you burn That's those puppies, feeling. like no one's business. Yeah. <laughs> and so you need them yeah. to starve yourself of that thing would actually hamper your performance, yeah. your mental well-being. Um, but then other people just simply don't need as much. Gotcha. So they are sedentary. They work with their brain 12 hours a day, not their body. Mm-hmm. They do a little, you know, maybe a bit of movement, but not much that person is probably going to need far fewer carbohydrates, particularly in like that, those storage forms like grains than someone else, but then age plays into it too, you know? And so we really have to sort of pay attention. And I think when we are curious about how we feel when we eat, it will give us far more information than like reading like a million blog posts. (laughs) Well, you know, and it changes as well. Because are we 22? Are we 42? You know, like, are we particularly active right now? Are we not? Um, 
when we eat plant, I mean, anyone in the plant-based community, like plants have carbs, like even our proteins have carbs. Like you got to be down with it. There has to be like a basic buy-in that carbs are not going to kill you (laughs) if you're going to go plant-based. But quality really matters too. Right. And in the research, because unequivocally, the research does not support the fact that carbs are bad for you. It just does not. Even the ketogenic research is really focused on people with type 2 diabetes who have lost their carb tolerance. And so the old school nutrition of just heaping more carbs on them makes zero sense. Heap more carbs and give more meds is ridiculous. Mm. So, you know, but for the rest of us, all of our healthiest foods contain carbohydrates. And when we consume whole foods, as often as we're able to, we're getting a lot of nutrition, a lot of fiber, and hard cell walls that take time to break down, and they change how our bodies interact with these carbohydrates. The sort of plague of modern life is that most of us consume our carbohydrates in their acellular form. Right. You know, they've literally been stripped of their cell, like white flour. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, everything is white flour and we can consume it like seven times a day. tastes yes. good. Um, you, you know, but that's not what our body is designed so to like, take in. So like white bread, donuts, all that stuff. We don't need those yeah. em- empty carbs, but we could have like, you know, plant-based grains. Totally. Uh, kind of more fulfilling carbs like that. Yeah, and not to say we can't have these things. And I think this is a big thing too because right. so many of us who are who are like on that path and that quest and wanting to be well, we can also demonize those things. Right. I and mean, the truth is, yeah. we shouldn't eat white flour and sugar 24/7. Like I yeah. just I, I can't sugarcoat it. Like we, that's just <laughs> that's not what we're supposed to be eating 24/7. But if you eat a healthy diet, yeah. Have a donut every once in a while. Right, like, especially for our mental a- health, you know? Like, if that donut's going to make me happy, then, like, heck yeah, like, let's have a donut. And our bodies are not as fragile as our minds would believe, yes. you yeah. know? Like, especially, you know, growing up, I didn't eat nearly as, quote-unquote, well on paper as oh, I do we now. All, we all did growing up. Like, we were, like, the microwave, like, pizza pop, you yeah. know, like... Mm-hmm. like uh, thinking. Um, my family was relatively healthy compared to yeah. a lot, but, like... Seeing what everyone packed, had in their packed lunches, it was like yeah. candy, jello pudding. Lunchables yeah, on mi- repeat. Microwave yeah. food, like, um, and they're all okay, I think. Yeah. You know, well, fun. I think it's, it shows like the, resili- <laughs> the human resilience that yeah. we all have is that you can eat like crap and your body still will take it and like make something that you can function. You might not yeah. be functioning like the, the best that you can at your, at your top of your game, yeah. but like you're still going to grow, be relatively healthy and like make it through. Yeah. And I like I think it's just it's amazing that we can do that with like subpar fuel, and then if you start to add in like these healthy alternatives, yeah. right? Then like all of a sudden you're like, oh, it feels so good to feel good. Well, and I think that's you know, if there's one thing that my clients underestimate, it is just how good you can feel. Well, you know, because I'm not you know I'm not advocating for these like wacky fad diets and yeah. you know like. This is the key, you know, lectins (laughs) are evil, avoid them at all costs. No, like it's like consistency. Yeah. Are you consistently putting the plants on your plate? Because our bodies, if you give your body what it needs, because it's designed to heal and clean up and do all that stuff daily. So like the donut is honestly no big deal when it has the vitamins and minerals and phytochemicals it needs to be like, oh yeah. Swept, you know, sweep a little dust off the floor, no problem. Yeah, it's I, when that's all we have. And I think that's important too because we can sort of demonize, you know, like 
yay, we're super into kale and like donuts are evil. They're really not. Yeah. It's just a donut. It's, yeah, right. it's about getting us back into this sort of like normal way of eating where we can have our kale salad and our donut too. Because we're nourished, um, we have the resilience to mm. enjoy those other things that just make life kind of a little bit more worth living. Right? A little, yeah. yeah. Yeah, a little yeah. bit of sugar on top. A little bit of sugar. <laughs> yeah. Love my treats. Yeah. Yeah. A little too much sometimes. I love cookies. <laughs> what's, what's your, like, uh, guilty pleasure? Potato chips. Potato oh, chips. Oh, yeah, same. Like a particular brand or kind or flavor? Uh, so if they were more commonly available, I would say Old Dutch <laughs> Twin Pack Ripple. Oh, nice. But it's Wavy Lays. Yeah. <laughs> like I mean, the new, Lays. you know, 2020 version is Wavy Lays. Yeah, yeah. They have been my, my you know, friend and, you know, companion yeah, since a very young age. Yeah, What about <laughs> yeah. you, Jenna? What's your... Uh, always, always chips. It's like the salty, yeah. crunchy, mm-hmm. and like usually like a really nice tortilla. There's one, uh, one that comes out of Winnipeg called La Cocina. No. Oh, man, it's so good. And uh, that with, like, a fresh, like, pico de gallo salsa is, like, I could eat that all day. That's my, that's my go-to. Yeah. <laughs> like, watching, <laughs> watching the Nationals, just, like, <laughs> munching a bag of chips. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm, but, a, I'm a cookie guy myself. Like, if you have the cookies from, like, the garden, uh, yes. them up, I could eat, like, three of those a day. They're so good. And just feel great about life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. That is the goal, you know? Like, if you come back to this idea of, like, Holist, like truly holistically looking at health, it's not just let's all just eat whole foods. It is yeah. that. Yeah. Like you need to enjoy what yeah. you're eating. Otherwise. Bring some joy into it. Yeah. Which a salad can do as well. Like totally. When I have an amazing salad or amazing smoothie, like I'm like, you know, flying high. But, you know, sometimes a cookie is just yeah. what the doctor ordered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the way in which we think about those foods sort of, enables the joy around a salad as much as it does the joy around a donut. Like, I honestly love eating the way that I do. Yeah. You know, I, I really do. Like, I could eat I could eat your kale Caesar, like, the juice rack kale Caesar, like, every single day for the rest of my life, and I would be a happy human. There we go. And I love it. I like, I look forward to that as much as I do, like, probably more. Uh, potato chips, you know, maybe I was, <laughs> yeah. was going to say, definitely more than I do a cookie. Like, yeah. I'm like, ah, cookie, whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor cookies. It's <laughs> okay, I'll make up for it. I'll give them more love. <laughs> um, okay, so cookies, chips, it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have to beat ourselves up out. or freak out about it. Um, one diet thing that I heard recently that I really liked, um, just to get your take, uh, I heard there's like three diets that we have in our life, and this mm-hmm. is the first time I'd kind of heard this opinion. Mm-hmm. There's like our growth diet. Mm-hmm. So, like, from infancy to, like, the end of puberty. Yeah. And then there's, a, like, our fertility diet mm-hmm. from when we have, like, the end of puberty to, like, when we're, I guess, like, you know, depending if you're male or female, kind of where that, that goes to. And then there's our um, kind of where you might kind of touch into is, like, our longevity diet. Mm-hmm. Like, how to preserve ourselves and be, you know anti-inflammation, recovery, like how to preserve our, our bodies and our wellness. And they kind of broke it into those three phases yeah. and our diet should reflect what phase we are in, in that. Have you, have you ever heard that? Or I am. That's brilliant. I like it. I think it's Dr. Longo. If you oh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. interesting. Longo, the longevity doctor. Yes. Right <laughs> and the very torturous prolon cleanse, yeah. which, yes, I don't know that I could ever do. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know if I like 
um, prescribed to everything you're saying, but I had, hadn't yeah. heard that like breakdown of three phases before, and I thought that was kind of interesting. And it makes a lot of sense, you know. Like, so I have a ten-year-old boy, yeah. and he's an athlete, and. I just think I'm going to like get rid of my backyard and grow potatoes because yeah. I'm like, what am I going to do? He eats so much food. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's crazy to watch. And that makes sense, yeah. right? Like yeah. your body is just fueling like un like precedented growth. Like the whole rest of our lives, we're just like, whoa. Um, and then there is, you know, particularly for women around fertility and, you know, so many young women are so preoccupied still because it's so ingrained in our culture, um, that we need to be a certain size, mm -hmm. right. you know? And so we, a lot of us spend our lives just really concerned with staying small. And it's actually the, like for fertility, it's yeah. the opposite because to have, a certain amount of essentially emergency stores yes. um, is really critical for, for fertility, particularly in women. Um, but making sure that you have those nutrients is essential. And then, and it's funny in my life, you know, cause I've, you know, passed the bridge of 40, yeah. you see the changes. You yeah. do see the changes as you're starting to transition out of that, like sort of like robustness, yeah. you know, <laughs> for lack of a better term. And, you don't you don't tolerate certain things the way that you do. Um, your body has different reactions. You certainly don't need the energy, even if you are active. You know, like at fifty, you're not going to need the same amount to fuel your activity as you right. did at twenty five. And so there has to be a shift, and that's yeah. where that sort of like tuning in and really paying attention yeah. is so important because you can notice. You're like, oh that's not sitting with me the way that it used to. Okay, so maybe I need to adjust. So would we need kind of along that, that uh, line of thought, like would we need more protein when we actually like hit our 60s when our like muscles are starting to like yeah. not have the same bounce back as like, uh, you know, your son at 10? Yeah, you know, and I haven't really done a deep dive. It's probably me trying to like pretend that I'm not getting older, but I haven't <laughs> done a deep dive into this research. Yeah. Um, what I would say from my clients, you know, my clients who are in their 50s and 60s uh, and 40s, uh, really, um, is that, you know, you're pulling back on overall energy needs right. for sure. And there is, there is, you know, and, and Dr. Longo, like the research that I've seen from him too, really sort of looks at this idea of like caloric restriction. Yeah. Um, and just like needing less yeah. because overdoing what you need will drive inflammation. And so there is a really important concept of sort of just enough as you get older. Uh, and I do think because of that now, the nutrient density of what you're eating is really important. Yeah. Um, protein is going to be critical because you want to hold on to your bones. You want to hold on to your muscle mass. Um, and we see uh, from the research on weight and protein is that the more you sort of like increase your protein as um, a ratio of what you're taking in, that's really beneficial for holding on to your lean muscle mass. But mm. again, not in a crazy way. Right. You know, mm. it just means that on our plate now, instead of, you know, like the 25 year old maybe had like a third of a plate of a beautiful whole grain. Yes. And now that's maybe better as a quarter and sometimes perhaps not at all if you're not sedentary. And then we're getting our carbs from our, um, our legumes, you know, and our vegetables um, to make sure that we're still getting them but that we can get that ratio of protein up there, but then also all those phytochemicals that are going to help us, our body clean up, right? Mm -hmm. they're, they're the cleaning crew. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then for like, um, so speaking to like kids and stuff, like how important is it that we get nutrition right for kids? Like we were saying, like we all grew up on pizza pops and gushers and making <laughs> yeah. that okay. Yeah. But like for, for the parents that are tuning in, like are there <laughs> any health tips that you give for, for, you know, younger kids, teenagers, um, you know, yeah. toddlers? Um, what would you say to that, that parenting crowd? Yeah, it's definitely like I have to like, there's like the dietitian side and like the parents side. Yeah, right, because <laughs> right. well, you can wear both shoes. Totally, exactly. <laughs> um, so, you know, after saying that, you know, I grew up on like mac and cheese and like yeah. you know, microwave cake and I'm fine, so who cares? <laughs> <Microwave cake. laughs> I like that. I never had that. 80s, because I'm a little older. Yeah. 80, like Duncan Hines, because you could make it yourself. And it was like in this little microwave tray, put it in. Oh, wow, nice. Back when we thought you could actually use microwave ovens like ovens. Yeah. <gasps> what was like the, oh, oh Easy Bake Oven. Oh, easy okay. Bake Oven. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, so I think with kids particularly, if they don't have any other health conditions that you're worried about, um, it is about getting it in. Right. So I really don't want parents to freak out about their kids having candy yeah. or chips or all of the other things that kids want. Um, and the more we, particularly because I think that childhood is, is two things for me. It is getting the nutrients in that their body needs because, again, they are growing at unprecedented rates, internally but also physically. Yeah. Um, but then forming a healthy relationship with food. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So something that's really important to me, for example, is that you don't do quote unquote kid food yeah. and then the adults eat something different. Right. Instead, sort of the research around food and feeding kids t tells us that the parents decide what goes on the plate. Right. And that is where your job ends. Okay. The kids decide how much they're going to eat and yeah. what. So the nice thing you can do is if you're, you know, like if you're going in kale Caesar style, like maybe you're going to have some crackers alongside that you know they like. Yeah. And maybe they will only eat those crackers. That's okay. It's okay. It's so hard. The parent in me is actually cringing right now. Yeah. I'm, like, oh. <laughs> I'm, always, like, I'm yeah. always like two more bites, three more bites. Like I'm like because I do that. So there. Yeah, so yeah. the dietitian had her piece. The the parent in me is I ask for a bite of everything. Okay. I say okay. you give me one bite. Because yeah. the other thing that we know is that positive acceptance of food can take yeah. like 20 introductions or more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I ask for one bite of every different food on the plate. Yeah. That's it. I'm like, I just need you to taste it. Yeah. Because if you don't taste it, you can't get used to it. And if yeah. you can't get used to it, you can't love it. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, my kids have way more of like all that candy and stuff than you probably think that they yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's great advice because, like, I've, I've been even thinking with our own kids, like, often, you know, I'll, I'll read the things on Instagram or in books and whatnot, and I'll be like, but I, I always resort back to, like, three more bites, and then you can have that gummy yeah. or that treat, and I'm, like, putting... Like it becomes a chore to eat. I'm like, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Just I know. Like and it's and it's because it's logical. And I yeah. think this is the the funny thing about nutrition, is that nutrition isn't always logical. Right. We all eat a whole bunch of things make sense to us. So we're like, ah, we got this nutrition in the bag. But like, <laughs> yeah. that, what you do when you do that is that we tell our kids that the broccoli is a chore. Yes. And is undesirable mm -hmm. and then we amplify yeah. the desirability of whatever we're offering as a reward right. and so we're actually reinforcing the very thing that we don't want to do um, and then the other thing too is that 
it can be really easy, and I struggle with this, and I'm definitely not perfect at it, but we can also teach kids judgments and fears around food that they may handle well now as kids, but then it can manifest as teenagers when they're more vulnerable to um, concepts of bo- around body image and all that kind of stuff with their peers. Can you give um, an example? Um, like junk food. Right. Like even the concepts. Like if you really want to get gnarly into this in, like intuitive side, uh, eating side, like we shouldn't call junk food junk food. Yeah. There you go. Like it's just food. Like yeah. chips are chips, broccoli is broccoli. And by calling it junk food, we're already placing a value-based judgment. It. Yeah, we're labeling right. it. Um, or teaching kids that sugar is bad or that X is bad yeah. um, can have a detrimental impact yeah. on the way that they view their relationship with food. Mm. Yeah. Even thinking what you're saying about like the about the you know the the candy is the reward. Like if you it automatically yeah. makes broccoli the bad guy, if yeah. you're like two more broccolis and you can have <laughs> yeah. that you know awesome chocolate cake. But if you flipped it and were like. Hey, if you have you know two more bites of your chocolate cake, you have some broccoli. Like I wonder if that would you know because like you said, we're imposing like a psychological totally. Um, we're projecting that the right. the candy is the treat and the broccoli is the chore. I wonder if I mean I'm saying flip it, but maybe it just shouldn't be done in the first place. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's so hard because you know it's always and it's always so different with like first kid, second kid. Like first kid, like, <laughs> yeah. I read all these books yeah. and he didn't have sugar until he was like two. Yeah. And then like I was Those like, don't call yeah. anything a treat. I'd be like, raspberries are a treat. And I'd be like, oh, you want some chips? You know, like I was like yeah. very like nonchalant about it. Um, and then the second kid, it's all no, it's yeah, all it's so down. Funny, right? But a dietitian colleague of mine named Sarah Remmer, she's from Calgary. She has this like mind blowing idea, and I have to admit I've never even tried it because it freaks me out so much. She's like, serve dessert with the meal. Love it. Like put the whole meal on the table. Yeah. And let the kids have whatever and how much they want. Yeah. And that it really helps to sort of like take dessert down a notch. Yeah. So it's not this sort of like reward. Precious reward, yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. that. That's great. Um, I'm going to try. I'll, I'll text you. If you try and perform me, you let me know. Yeah, our Instagram helpline. <laughs> the bowl yeah. of quinoa, the bowl of ice cream. You'll be like, okay, it's dinner is served. Okay. <laughs> okay, it's been a month and we've only had ice cream. <laughs> I know at what point do you're like mm. yeah I gotta switch it up but it's so interesting because like when you think about people you know grown adults no. that are coming to you and saying like oh my you know I'm unhealthy I feel unwell and that so much of what has led them to your office mm-hmm. to have a conversation with you might have been those things that happened in childhood right and so we can kind of laugh about it and I think of my, my own you know kids and my youngest daughter especially like the minute she finishes supper it's like hey, can I have a treat yes. right? or like can I have a treat well you got to finish your supper or have a few bites of everything but like how many of those things you know are built in in childhood that we don't even know we weren't, weren't even like con- um, consciously aware of but they're in there and we have these value judgments on foods and stuff and then say like these ones are bad, these ones are good. And like, oh, I just really like these bad foods. I know I shouldn't, but it almost like draws us into it more yeah. to create that like cycle of unhealth, right? And it's and it's so interesting because, you know, what we see is the more you have that sort of built-in judgment around food and fear or guilt or shame around eating the things like, you know, fast food or ice cream or chips or whatever, Actually, the more you get in your own way of finally getting to that place where you're truly healthy, Mm -hmm. because 
so often you're going to be eating the quote unquote unhealthy foods out of a restrictive sense. So it's like, you're not actually loving that kale salad. That kale salad is penance for the like double cheeseburger and milkshake you ate yesterday. And so same thing, you are teaching yourself that that kale salad is penance as opposed to the delicious thing that it is, you know? Um, And so you're constantly in this cycle of over- detox kind of. Yeah, and it's incredibly detrimental to actually getting healthy and to listening to what your body needs because mm-hmm. so oftentimes we will eat these like hyper processed foods and you're like if you tune in you're like i actually don't really like them yeah. like that whole mindful eating movement where you're really present for the experience of eating and then you realize that flaming hot cheetos actually taste like a bizarre vinegary chemical as opposed to anything resembling something real (laughs) you know so it's like oh i don't like them i just used them for a certain purpose like a stress relief or uh, something like that more than actual enjoyment of the food itself yeah yeah Mm. And it's even that that concept comes out in exercise too, right? Like I have friends who are trainers and like, you know, people who run, that run with us, often that kind of language comes out like, oh, you know, like a post, whatever, Thanksgiving or whatever, oh, you got to run, run the turkey off or whatever. And it's like that, right. that eating something that you love or whatever, you know, eating a big Thanksgiving meal, okay, you got to do this. And like, we hear these tropes of like, you have to do the punishment now because you ate these foods. Mm-hmm. And so exercise or eating healthy isn't because you love your body. Yeah. It's because you're punishing your body for like these choices you've made. Totally. And it's such a unfortunate reality rather than seeing, oh, I'm going to eat this because uh, it's really good for me mm-hmm. and I actually do enjoy it. Or I want to run or go to the gym because like I, I want to take care of my body and I love it rather than, oh, I have to punish myself because I yeah. ate the flaming hot Cheetos or whatever. Yeah. Which... And, and energetically, and you know, like here's, here's where we like move, veer off the evidence-based nutrition, but like they're like energetically that does impact like how healthy your body is. And like I said before, you can sort of look all good on paper, right? Like you've got yeah. like those five runs a week and like that real nice stuff. But I see that this person isn't truly well, mm-hmm. you yep. know, and, and so there's so much that we sort of have to unpack. And like the way that we eat says a lot about who we are, about how we interact with the world and like what our values are. And you have to unpack that. If, if you're at the point, if you're listening to this and you're like, I'm at the point where I am not well and I am tired of it. Like our instinct is that sort of anxious run to the internet. What's the diet that's got the answer for me right now? Um, but you'll just find yourself in the same place three to six months from now, like generously six months from now, you really have to start back to peel back those layers and explore like, who am I? What do I believe in? Like, what is sustainable for me? Like, how slow do I have to move so that getting healthy feels like a joyous process, Mm -hmm. not like penance? Mm -hmm. Um, Because like there has to be, there has to be positivity and there has to be joy in it because that is also like a vital component of being well. Joy, joy, happiness. Yeah. I think we see, like, Juice Truck's, like, a prime example of both those people. Like, we see people that see green juice as, like, like a treat, and they're excited about it, and it's fuel for them. And then we see people that, like, are having it because um, they had the cheeseburger yesterday, or they, like, you know, had two pieces of cake, and they're feeling bad about it, and they're like, you know, ooh, like, this tastes healthy, and they're, like, struggling to get it down. But they're, like, thinking, like you know, projecting that this is, this is good for my body. This is yeah. good for my body. And it's, 
Um, yeah, so we kind of see both, both of those spectrums like on a person-to-person basis coming uh-huh. in. And it's it's quite wild to see that it can be like the same product, the same broccoli, the yeah. same juice, the same whatever. And two people can have such a wildly different experience with it. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you, um, you know, obviously we're, we're both plant-based and that's something we're passionate about. Uh, and you're plant-based as well. Um, I wanted to ask you a few things. First off, why, why plant-based? What's your journey um, into that and your why? Um, and um, the second thing is often we hear like, oh, plant-based is not, um, you know, approachable or mm-hmm. inclusive or it's uh, elite. Um, can you kind of speak on first your why and um, how plant-based can be for everyone and, and maybe why it has that stigma? Yeah. Oh gosh, I feel like we need a whole other podcast on this I know. But I will try and be succinct. This is not my strong suit. <laughs> so, so like, I became vegetarian when I was a teenager. Yeah. And I wish I could say that I had some like super altruistic motive at the time but really I liked a boy he played yeah. the saxophone he was also vegetarian he was super cute and I was like I'm a vegetarian too <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, that's amazing guess, uh, guess what stuck because yeah. I'm not currently married to that boy so yeah, I was going to ask is that your husband <laughs> yeah no <laughs> um, so I, vegetarian for a really long time and, and as soon as I became vegetarian because it's easy to be a monk in a monastery I was like do you know what yeah. they do to meat like do you know how horrible that is um and so I, but I, so vegetarian was just my thing. It felt very much like an ethical choice. And I would actually say beyond health, beyond environment, cause like in the nineties, yeah. we're like, <laughs> I recycle some paper. We're environmentalists. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was really an ethical, being vegetarian was an ethical choice to me. Yeah. Um, and sort of like continued on that path for many, many moons. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until probably the last, like, five, six years where I was like, is vegetarianism the ethical choice? Oh. Yeah. Mm. I really like cheese. Mm. Like, I've got I've got some real, there's some real dissonance here. I'm very challenged by it. Yeah. Um, and you know, so being exposed to, you know, like an air like Erin Ireland, like she's like a big part of that. It's like, you know, medicine that I didn't always want to take at the time and being like, okay, so if you're here ethically, like we got to talk about, you know, it wasn't like when my mom grew up in like a tiny island of 4,000 people and there was literally a cow in the backyard and they're like, hey, we love you. We're going to take a little milk today and then go back to our table. That's not what we do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it definitely sort of like planted that seed in my mind. I was like, this is the right thing to do. And I need to figure out again, how to get there, like in a way that I was ready for, because I wasn't ready for cold turkey because that's, you know, I had restrictive ideas in my past and it was very triggering to that. So I had to go slow and easy. Um, but then now the research as well, like vegetarianism wasn't a choice about health for me, um, but like being plant-based absolutely is. Like the research on why being plant-based is so good. Like it's just solid. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, we talked about how challenging dietary research is. And, you know, I think the best that we have right now is one that looks at dietary patterns. That is the best way to sort of account for how complex and messy this all is, is that it's not what you ate yesterday or once in a while. It's like, what is the pattern of how you typically eat? And the best research diet in the world is a Mediterranean diet. Yeah. And then I would say, like, 
the second best is then like this, the plant-based spectrum, the vegetarian, vegan, and then generally plant-based. Yeah. And we have a ton of research to show that, you know, people who are vegetarian and vegan typically have lower rates of chronic disease, particularly vegan, you know, because you can eat a lot of cheese <laughs> when you're a vegetarian, right? Yes, definitely. So um, we know that, you know, lower rates of most chronic diseases, um, you know, the research on, you know, fiber in terms of colorectal and particularly meat intake and colorectal cancer which is a major killer in North America. Um, you know, consuming less red meat um, is pretty critical. We had this whole like fat is back thing, you know, because we were always, we were so scared, you know, decade yeah. of being scared of fat, you know, a big part <laughs> of that was saturated fat and heart yeah. disease. And as the research got more sophisticated, they're like, ooh, saturated fat and heart disease, maybe not. Um, but we see as a whole, saturated fat is still not great for inflammation. Well, can you also um, kind of identify the difference between unsaturated and saturated yeah. fats? So unsaturated fats typically, but not always, come from plants. Right. So these are the monounsaturated. And so saturation means um, are all of the bonds in the molecule of fat saturated with hydrogen ions? And so if... It, all the bond, all the molecules have got all their hydrogen that's saturated. And so we get that from like meat and dairy specifically, but in the plant world, like coconut oil, yeah. you know, um, that's typically our big um, source of saturated fat. Although there's a little bit, there's fractions in like peanuts and all those kind of yeah. things. And then unsaturated fats, which are typically um, from plant-based foods, they have, um, they have a little bit less saturation of the hydrogen molecules because they have double, they have different bondings. Okay. So they can either have one of those, which is a monounsaturated, or they can have multiple of those bondings, which is a polyunsaturated, like the omega-3s yeah. are polyunsaturated fats. And then monounsaturated fats are like olive oil and avocados um, and found in a lot of nuts and seeds, right. that kind of thing. Okay, yeah. so there's the fat clarification. Yeah. Back, back to like the... Kind of the studies you've, yeah. you've had on plant-based diet being like so. In your professional opinion, mm -hmm. the plant-based diet is the um, like we're not making a generalization here, I'm not no. you know individualizing it, but you feel a plant-based diet is the healthiest diet yes. to, to, mm -hmm. to choose. Yeah, and so the other reason why I like the term plant-based is that I do feel so. There's this idea of of inclusiveness yeah. and approachability, and you know. Like, you know, when I really started to think about whether or not cheese should be a part of my life, there's that we, we get our backs up, right. right? We absolutely get our backs up. And so I love the term plant-based because people who still consume some animal products feel like they can fit into plant-based. Yeah. Um, well, vegan holds like a bit more of an activist charge. So totally. Like, uh, right. doing it more for an ethical reason um, and plant-based, you know, I think it will usually transition into like the values yeah. and the whys as well, but it can start with health-based versus yeah. the ethics. Or, or environment too. And right. I, feel, I feel like the sustainability aspect is a big one for people. And it's yeah. a really great motivator. And we have really great data on like energy use and you know, fossil fuels and water use, particularly around livestock. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, and so it's, you know, it's an efficient to feed yourself with plants too. Yeah. So that's pretty great for the planet. Right. Um, but yeah, so I do like a plant-based diet for folks. But then again, wherever they're starting, we have to decide, like, what's yeah. that going to look like for them now? Like, what are you comfortable with? What can you afford? Uh, because again, and we were talking about this earlier, this idea that eating well 
uh, is expensive. Yeah. And so I think you have to start by sort of taking off the table, do you have the privilege of choosing your food? So some of us don't. Right. You know, if you don't have the privilege of choosing your food, you just have to do the best you can yeah. with whatever you've got in front of you. Right. Um, if you have the privilege of choosing your food, actually, it's pretty, like, meat and cheese and dairy are pretty expensive when you consider like how far they go in feeding your family. Um, there's a reason why basic grains and beans have been a subsistence diet of like so many cultures around the planet. Like yeah. dried beans are cheap, yes. especially if you don't buy them at a fancy supermarket. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you go to a local green grocer and we have so many great ones around right. and you know, like those kind of real basics I mean, dietetic internships, uh, you know, back in the day, like they're unpaid. Yeah. So I went in like 10 months without an oh income and I just like <laughs> bean, like beans and beans right? were my jam. Yeah. Like whole foods can actually be really accessible. And so, yes, you're not buying cashews because yeah. cashews are not accessible to a lot yeah. of people, but sunflower seeds are. Yeah. You know, sunflower seeds make great creams. And so you can make your, you can whip yourself up a sunflower seed cream instead of a cashew cream. There's always a way to do it in a budget if you have the openness to it and if you're willing to like how do I cook a chickpea from dried like yes. you got to do a little bit of learning too right. so it's always that balance it's like what's your time what's your budget what's your willingness to learn more yeah. of that yeah. um, I've got a couple more questions but yeah. um, I feel like you might have some as well well I, yeah I definitely do <laughs> so there's so I mean this has been so good I feel like I'm just it's such a privileged to be able to sit here and listen and like learn and absorb so much uh, of your information that you're sharing. Um, one thing that I'm really interested in, uh, recently coming through, like going, I saw a naturopath and adjusted some things in my diet and it led me to adopt a plant-based diet about three years ago. And then it's just kind of been like the incremental changes along the way. So very much like what your, what your journey, you advocated as like a journey. It has been that for me. And there's been a whole bunch of reasons from ethical to spiritual to environmental reasons for me to like keep going down the plant-based way. But something that I heard actually uh, Dr. B speak about, he has his book Fiber Fueled, which is like swiffering the nations. Like people are really, <laughs> people are really excited about it. And so there's a, another, I'm told, uh, fiber book coming out that people will be equally excited about. <laughs> they haven't even talked about your books. Oh, or, gosh. Um, 2022. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. Um, but all, all that to say is uh, a healthy gut is like what we would strive for because of the impacts of health across the board. And something that I stumbled upon actually listening, listening through uh, an interview with Dr. B on another podcast, um, he talked about a fecal transplant and I was like I had never heard of it and right away like my kind of like ick factor went up through the roof I was like that is wild and who in their right mind and then so just out of curiosity I, I googled it and was reading I'm like this is actually a thing and there seems to be like some evidence that it's like a good not a solution not like a magic pill or a silver bullet but like a real um kickstart to get someone with like significant disease or significant um, unhealth and really like lots of different varieties of, of diseases that are major and yeah. major North American ones. And that's something like a fecal transplant followed up with, you know, dietary changes and consistency over time yeah. has seen the reversal of like some really 
scary kind of chronic diseases. Is that something, can you speak to that? Or like, what, I what is speak, your... I can speak a little bit to that, yeah. So, I mean, you can really think of like a fecal transplant as being like the ultimate probiotic. Right. Um, and yes, you can actually take it by pill. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> there you go, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I do, so I have clients with inflammatory bowel disease because right now for us, uh, the only way to get a fecal transplant uh, is to be enrolled in sort of like a clinical trial. Okay. It's still considered a fairly experimental procedure. Right. Which also blows my mind because in all like it's poop people yeah like why are we more scared of that than like some of the very caustic medications we use but it's right. crazy huh? or, or even like the right. cheeto that's like made in a lab basically anyway yeah it's too extreme right <laughs> um <laughs> welcome poop yeah exactly exactly so so yes you know particularly around um Infection with uh, antibiotic-resistant superbugs, mm -hmm. things like Clostridialis difficile, that can kill people. Like our drugs, the drugs don't work, you know, and they can kill people. And, and fecal transplant is actually saving people. And the reason why is that when our gut microbiome is healthy and strong, it is actually helping us be far more resilient. So like a great example is this C. diff bacteria. All three of us could be sitting here right now with it in our guts. Yeah. It's called an opportunistic pathogen. Okay. When given the opportunity, it can go virulent and make you sick. It can start multiplying and then it takes over. What gives it the opportunity? The decrease in the abundance and diversity of the trillions of beneficial bacteria that help keep it at bay. You know, when your gut microbiome is right, um, it produces a ton of short-chain fatty acids from all the fiber you're eating. Um, those have direct effects on the nervous system and the immune system, but also physically it lowers the pH of the gut space ever so slightly to favor the growth of the good guys right. and hinder the growth of the bad guys. The bad guys love a more alkaline pH um, and they also love inflammation. So when gut inflammation is at play, that's when those opportunistic pathogens really thrive. And it becomes this difficult thing that sometimes, you know, depending where you're at, we can get there with an actual probiotic and lots of plants. But there are conditions where the only thing that works at this point is a fecal transplant. But then again, consistent change requires consistent change. So you can give yourself you know, the poop of a champion, right. but to keep it champion, you got to feed it champion, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. and it's, so it's, it is, and it's the same thing with a probiotic, you know, like this whole, we, we rode this way with vitamin D where it was like a panacea and cure for everything. And then we're like, oh, why are we all still sick? And we're getting this place, like we're sort of riding that crest with probiotics too. Like it fixes everything. Why are we still sick? Uh, and it's twofold, you know, one that a lot of probiotics really aren't that great. Mm -hmm. Some are, but some aren't, but then you have to feed them. These are living microbes. And so you can't just sprinkle in the bacteria and hope for the best. Right. You want to keep those bacteria alive for the rest of your life. Right. And you don't feed them, they die. Cause in like a really lay person's terms, or at least this is the way I understand yeah. it. So correct me if I'm wrong. It's like, we all have the good and bad bacteria. Like I had some SIBO mm -hmm. issues where it's like, okay, you, you need to get rid of the bad ones, more of the good, less of the bad, right? Yeah. And so the idea is like when we feed the good bacteria, the things that it likes, which is fiber and plants yeah. and these things, it then eats those things and like essentially poops in our gut. Yeah. And the, that is the stuff that our body thrives on. And so we want, that's like in some ways, 
in a, in a very small, small microscopic way, like we're already thriving off of like the poop of these bacteria. And so that's why when I started researching it and looking into it, I was like, oh, I guess it would make sense that like that would be a Kickstarter to help mm-hmm. is like getting someone else's like really good kind of bacteria uh, into our gut. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's, you know, and it's wild too, you know, and it, especially because you mentioned SIBO, like one of the most critical things, because, you know, when people get so small intestinal bacterial overgrowth for someone who hasn't heard that term, um, when we think that we have an overgrowth of potentially harmful bacteria, so often the next breath it is eliminate, eliminate and restrict. And the reason why, for exactly what you just said, the reason why that is such a terrible idea is restriction is starvation. Mm-hmm. So you're going to starve out the bad guys. You're also going to starve out the good guys, but it's the good guys that keep you protected from the bad guys. And so you end up, and a lot of people will come to me, so they've gone through you know, this SIBO diet and have been starving and struggling for like months. And they're like, why am I not better? Yeah. And it's like, because you haven't nourished and nurtured the bacteria that are going to keep you well. It's not your nutrition that's going to keep that SIBO from coming back. It's those good bacteria. Right. So if they're starved out, they're weakened, their community is, is not able to help you stay well. You've actually put yourself in like a more vulnerable situation. Because yeah. we, can, we can play with nutrition to tamp down symptoms. Yeah. There's a lot of ways that we can do that. But what tamps down symptoms doesn't actually treat the root cause in many instances. So you just end up like kind of beholden to tamping down symptoms, but then you tend to get weaker and weaker and weaker and you restrict more and you restrict more and you restrict more and you lose tolerance. And then you just end up super unwell. And unfortunately, like I hate to say that I see this in my practice so often, like we deal with a lot of really ill people Mm. um, who feel like they've tried so hard, like they're trying so hard and they can't get better. And so often the answer is we add, we don't subtract. Yeah. And it's so interesting even hearing that and thinking back to like people that come through our doors at the juice truck. And so often we hear the story of like, oh, I can't have this, 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 this. And this is laundry list of foods that are good, healthy foods that they're, you know, telling us like, oh, we can't have this. And I'm always kind of like that. To me, that doesn't make sense because, like, these are the foods you should be having. But I'm not going to tell someone, right? Like, you're wrong. exactly. But that's probably they've lived this elimination, like, diet, lifestyle where they can't consume these good foods because it does upset their stomach. Like, it actually does, but not because the food is what's causing the issue. It's just the lack of it. Totally. Eat the rainbow. Yeah. Incrementally get there and eat the rainbow. Eat more plants. Yes. (laughs) Well, there's a book, I think. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think there's a book on that. (laughs) Amazing. Okay. Can you tell us then kind of based on the, I know we're we're going on here, but, but I think it's, it's all so good. Um, Can you tell us a little bit on that vein about fiber and your previous book? Do you want to give us a little bit about what's coming ahead in your, in your next Sure. Yeah, so, share with us. Because I believe it's so critical to eat more plants. So yeah, so I have like a book on plant-based anti-inflammatory nutrition called Eat More Plants. So it's over 100 recipes, 100% plant-based, whole food, and flavorful. And I think it comes back to this idea like there has to be joy in the eating. Um, but then you also get a lot of information about like, how do you go plant-based? Like what is inflammation? Like what's the science of nutrition for inflammation? Um, because I think it's so important to have 
the why with the what. Mm. Like I think in nutrition, we can give a lot of like theory, but then know like, oh, what do I make myself for dinner? Or like we can have all this beautiful food, but we don't tell people why it's so important to eat these specific foods. So I really like to have both. Um, but I just finished working on a third book, uh, which we'll call it Good for Your Gut. Ooh, Let's hope okay. that stays. Yeah. I like that title. So it's the same thing. It's, you know, I guess what I'm kind of doing now is this sort of like culinary nutrition where you get the recipes, but then you also get a lot of nutritional, like therapeutic nutrition information up front. And with this book, I wanted to do what I didn't, what we do in our practice, because I think people still aren't getting access to very specific and practical information. Like if you are constipated, what do you do? Right. If you have reflux, what do you do? So this book actually lays it all out. Everything from, yeah, reflux and constipation to IBS, um, all of the approaches that we use, um, starting with just eat more plants to, okay, so if you have constipation, we need to tweak this and tweak this and tweak this. Uh, And then a whole bunch of really delicious recipes that don't at all look like, you know, like a nutrition book recipes, like really delicious food for everyone. And that's not going to come until like... March 2022. Okay. Which Can't is, wait. I know. It's, it's a fast long track. I, I mean, I can skip the next year anyway, so <laughs> yeah, we're halfway there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's really, really good. I, I'm excited to, to look into it and to yeah, get some of the recipes for mm-hmm. sure. I love to cook, and I love to cook food that is good and good for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Zach, you got any? Yeah, I've got a couple rapid-fire questions, okay. and then i got one lofty, lofty question, okay. and then we can, then we can land this, um, this show. <laughs> Um, okay, so I'm just going to throw out a bunch of rapid-fire okay. ones. Some are health-related, some are not. Okay, um, okay so first rapid-fire round. Um, if I say like um, like a protein or iron, can you list whether you would what foods you'd get it from or if you would opt for a supplement? Oh, okay, sure. Okay. Um, okay, iron. So iron, 100% food first. So looking at things like blackstrap molasses, your nuts, your seeds, legumes, uh, tofu are going to be your main sources. Iron and zinc typically follow protein in food. Okay. Uh, and then, of course, greens. Okay. Supplement only if directed by your doctor. Cool. Okay. Love it. Um, iron's a big question we always get. Uh, protein. Protein. All plants have protein. <laughs> so <What>? put some <laughs> sort of concentrated protein on your plate at every single meal. So, and that for us, that's generally going to be a legume-based thing, you know, whether tofu, tempeh, or beans themselves. And then the helpers are the nuts and the seeds and the grains. Like wheat berries have a lot more protein than you might say. It's like six grams, like a small serving. Um, So layer it on. It's actually pretty easy to get 20 to 30 grams of protein on your plant-based plate. You just have to put those nuts, seeds, legumes... And whole grains on. Love it. Protein, like plant-based protein powder? Yeah. Yeah? Super convenient. I think they're they're not necessary to get there. Um, If people want to kind of like think how much protein do I need, I typically say take your weight in pounds divided by two. That gives your protein grams for the day unless you're in intense training. That's a different ballgame. It's going to be slightly higher. And then just divide it amongst your meals. Um, Plant-based protein powders are super helpful. Um, I really like a protein in my smoothie. Like I need it for, and most people do for their blood sugar balance and like just to stretch out that energy and blood sugar curve. Um, so this is the only time I say, don't take soy. 
So I love soy foods. Oh, we didn't even get into the I whole know. soy stuff. Let's save that one for the next yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. I feel like that's a big one. <laughs> so like edamame, organic yeah. tofu, tempeh, all good stuff. Yeah. I don't like a concentrated uh, soy protein yeah. um, because many of them can have too many of the isoflavones. So yeah. normal whole food amount of isoflavones, awesome. Yeah. Anytime you take something out of the context of the whole food, it can accumulate. So any other one, okay. like a pea protein, you know, for my gut health people, rice protein is really great because it's pretty easy on the gut. Yeah. Great to have if it's convenient, but not necessary. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Um, okay. Without getting into it too long. Soy, yay or nay for soy? 100% yay. 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 100% yay. I'm a big fan of organic. It's usually only pennies more yeah. than the non-organic. Um, if you've got something going on with your gut and you do need to be a little bit lower fiber for a time, like tofu. Yeah. And also, if you need more protein, tofu is so, and tempeh are so concentrated, you just you, you can't say no. And, and they're delicious. And, and you can make them do anything. Anything. Yeah. And, and you don't have to worry about estrogen. That's not a... Not a it is not a thing because phytoestrogens are not estrogen. Yes. They are a thousand times weaker than our body's estrogen, and they have a moderating effect. So we have to think of phytoestrogens as moderating. Helps if there's too much, helps if there's too little, it balances it out. It's not like taking like a birth control pill. <laughs> like it's not just heaping more estrogen on the fire. Yeah. Okay, sure. cool. Uh, B12. Uh, B12, 100% supplement. Yeah. I am one of those folks. I mean, yes, you could totally sprinkle like nooch on your dinner every single night. Yeah. I just think B12, it takes a long time for deficiency to show up. Like, why wouldn't you just take, and it's cheap. Why yeah. wouldn't you just take a little, mm -hmm. little spray of you yeah. know, B12 under Ooh, your tongue like every day? Spray. It tastes yeah. good too. Yeah. Um, uh, just branching them all together. We can get into the different ones, but omegas as a whole. Yeah. Uh, food first. If okay. you have no health condition yeah. and you're not pregnant. So if you're pregnant, 200 milligrams of DHA every single day. Yeah. Uh, yes. Algae based. It's totally right. vegan. Um, two to three tablespoons of ground chia ground flax or hemp hearts every single day okay. and you've just done it so easy Boom. supplement with food yeah uh, i feel like we covered fiber we talked about vitamin c um okay mushrooms yeah and it uh i love them which uh what, what mushrooms do you see in your rotation and are they food forms or supplements um, so I typically take like powdered mushroom. Yeah. So lion's mean is a big one for me yeah. because I don't know, I'm old frazzled mom entrepreneur <laughs> and I'm like anything to help my cognitive function. So I would take. lion's mane is a big one for cognitive yeah, function. Yeah, lion's mane is a big one. Yeah. And you know, there are so many great blended products. I mean, we were talking about rainbow, right? Like, yeah. yeah. So cool. And then like Four Sigmatic, they make beautiful mm -hmm. products. And the one that you're going to take like energy, because we were talking about cordyceps. So, yeah. you know, different mushrooms are going to do different things. And I think we have a lot of intriguing research. It's not to the point of conclusive research, but if you have the budget of available to you yeah. it's definitely something i would play with and see if they work for you cool yeah, yeah we're we're like big on the mushroom wave over here we don't even sell it at the juice track and we like talk about mushrooms like non-stop like probably cordyceps cordyceps well and even that four sigma we said we have the four sigma right. stuff we have four yeah. sigma so they do their their coffee with chaga and cordyceps yeah. and it's i'd stop i mean i've said it before in other episodes but i've stopped drinking coffee because it was low-key killing me and then mm -hmm. i discovered this and i was like oh my gosh this is everything i ever wanted and more yeah with no crash. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, I got a few more here. Okay, we like to call them, we call them food here, but they're like people like to call them superfoods. Are there any superfoods mm -hmm. that you prescribe to? 
Um, I think all plants are super. That is my democratic thing. You know, I I love the superfood thing and I love in that I love getting people excited. Like we underestimate plants. And so I love sort of talking about them as superfoods to be like, did you know what the heck is actually in a blueberry? Like it's mind blowing. But where where I pull back is when it's only talking about things that are exotic, yeah. you know, um, because I think we greatly underestimate that like every day, consistent application of every day locally available plant foods is probably way more powerful than a single tablespoon of something yeah. really expensive and really exotic. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Uh, beyond B12, is there anything in your supplement cupboard? Um, it really varies. It really varies. I'm sort of playing with some like hormonal stuff right now. The only thing I take with any regularity is B12 and D. Yeah. Um, I guess we didn't get to D. Yeah. D critical. Take it at least a thousand IU every single day and D3 because it's vegan now. So, um, but the other thing that people should probably think about, which gets eye rolls sometimes, uh, iodine. People oh, on yeah. plant-based not talking about iodine, yeah. considering we also have an epidemic of people with low thyroid. Yes. If you don't get enough iodine, your thyroid will go on the fritz. Thanks. Eat iodized salt. Okay. It's like... That's you know, the easiest way to get it. It is. And, and it's cheap. literally what it was designed for. Iodized salt is iodized to eliminate iodine deficiency in our population. Amazing. So save the fancy ones for finishing, <laughs> but cook. Or, or, you know, if you're like, iodized salt is white death. It isn't. But if that's where, you, if that's where you're going to land, if, then put it in your supplement. You have to get iodine every single day for okay. thyroid function and to support your metabolism. How much, how much should, we, should we take in a day? Oh, again? gosh. That's not one I know off the top okay, of my okay. head, I think. But, uh, but, half a teaspoon, but a half a teaspoon of salt will get you there. Okay. So that's what I, whatever I'd say in a half a teaspoon right. of salt. Right, so you can sprinkle that, into, <laughs> sprinkle that into your supper or on your oatmeal or whatever. Yeah, yeah just cook normally. Because especially when you're eating whole foods, you don't have to be afraid of salt. Right. And salt makes food taste good. Yeah. So cook with whole foods. Use, add it in. use salt as you would normally to cook and make it taste right. good. You'll get enough iodine. And you won't get too much salt because you're not eating, eating the a ton of hyper-processed foods. That's the, one of those other things where it's like demonized. Salt is so bad. Don't add salt. Because yeah. it's already through the roof in the cardboard box you're opening and putting in the microwave. It's through the roof. Plus, we're not eating the other three electrolytes that balance sodium in the body. Potassium, magnesium, and calcium. Ooh. If you eat whole foods, you get those things in abundance. Yeah. yeah. Where do we get magnesium? Magnesium is going to be in your nuts. Your seeds yeah. and your legumes. Um, I also, if you have a lot of stress and anxiety in your life, I take additional magnesium yeah, to tamp too. down my own <laughs> nervous system. Yeah. And I take 400 milligrams every single night. Nice. The nights that I don't, I feel it. I can't go to sleep. It might be placebo, but like I can't go to sleep without taking my little magnesium mm-hmm. pill. Like, yep. oh, I didn't take it. No wonder I'm awake. Yeah. Um, mm. Fat intermittent fasting, fat slash fasting, or, yeah. or not at all? Um, be very cautious if you are someone who comes from a restricted eating mindset, even if it's a subtle one, yeah. and approaching intermittent fasting. Um, definitely not if you are in a fertility phase of your life as yeah. a woman. Do not restrict eating because that tells your body you're in danger. Yeah. Um, but I actually use it from a gut health perspective. Okay. So I use it to take the pressure off the gut and sort of optimize gut motility, which really helps for a lot of people with like constipation and bloating and inflammation. 
Um, so I do use a gentle form of meal spacing in my practice. Okay. Mm. Yeah. But consistency, as you said before, consistency. be consistent, right? For, totally. Okay. Like I've, I've heard a lot of people that do like one, they fast for 24 hours yeah. once a week. Is that, are you, do you think that's okay? Or? It's interesting from a longevity perspective. Yeah. It is interesting from a longevity perspective. There are lots of ways to do fat, like there's five and two and like all yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, if you can do so, A, if you're healthy, B, if you can come to that with a neutral mindset, yeah. you know, a non-restrictive mindset, it's probably not going to hurt okay. as long as it's something, again, tune into your body. Does that feel good to you? Yes. Like actually good and yeah. not just controlled, but actually yeah. good, mm. then it's probably okay for you. Okay. Yeah. Um, a few non-health ones and then I got okay. one last lofty question. Um, okay. My favorite post that you do on Instagram, mm. big reveal here, are your book posts. I love your book shares. I always save them and will often buy the books that you recommend. Um, can you give shout out to a couple of books that you've loved in the last year or two or three or four or five? Um, best book that I've read, like one that made it into my top five of all time, yeah. um, A Little Life. Cool. By Hanya, I'm going to butcher her beautiful <laughs> last name, but she's like editor of T Magazine for okay. New York Times. Like that, it's a bug squasher. It's over 800 pages. Oh, wow. It's wow. a very triggering book if you have a lot of trauma. Yeah. It's maybe not right for you. Um, it is devastating, but it is probably the most astounding wow. book I've read in a very long time. What a precursor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. I had someone recommend it to me, and then she's like, also... It's awful. It will destroy you. And it's just a warning. <laughs> and what was the other one you mentioned on our IG Live? Untamed or something like that? Oh, yeah. So Untamed. Yeah. So, you know, particularly for a woman, um, Untamed by Glennon Doyle is like this blockbuster book. because She's like an uber famer, famous person already. It's already had like multiple New York Times bestsellers. And I was really hesitant yeah. to read it because books like that, I was like, meh, they're not going to be that good. Yeah. Uh, it was astounding. This is a woman who was uh, dealt with addiction got clean and sober, had a family, became like a Christian mom blogger, like espousing this, you know, be like beautiful life. And then her husband uh, cheated on her and very publicly had to go through that. And it became a redemption story. She wrote a book on that. Wow. And then as she was on the book tour for that beautiful redemption story, uh, realized that she was in love with a woman. Oh, wow. So this is, it's memoir and stories, and it's just, like, breaking down who we are as women and, like, all the garbage that's instilled in us about who we should be, who we can or cannot. Like, it's just, like, after 2010, when we're all ready to just light a fire to it anyways, like, yeah. I feel like all female-identifying persons should okay. read Untamed. Wow. It is okay. that good. Adding it to my uh, yeah, Christmas that sounds, list. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, my life. for the... Maybe myself as well. Yeah. Um, any, what's your go-to podcast when you're driving, driving out to Steveston? You know, I don't get to listen to enough podcasts yes. because I write for a living. Right. And I can't hear words and write. Yeah, um, so, right? You'd be very talented it if is, you could. I wish. I wish. <laughs> Um, and so the podcasts that I love the most, actually I'm very into this one. It's brand new called the 12th house podcast. Okay. Um, a woman named Michelle Pelazon, her handle is holisticism. Her business is holisticism. Cool. It's like the convergence of entrepreneurship and like wellness and spirituality in like a super inclusive 
non-garbage, non-judgmental. It's genius. 12th House podcast is fantastic. So I'm literally lapping it up. I think there's only been six episodes. Um, at this point, I also love um, How to Fail. Okay. And mm-hmm. I'm going to blank on the podcaster's name. Well, okay. But she's a British journalist. Okay. And it's beautiful. Like, very accomplished, successful people come on. And the whole, like, like core of this is oh, yeah. three ways you failed. Yeah. I think I've listened to one of them. Yeah. yeah totally. So we need good. We need to celebrate failure more. Like, we talk about that a lot. Like, going to failure can actually be a, a place of growth. And, and the idea that failure is actually a critical part of success. And like for me, you know, with my background, I didn't have, I didn't have any role models of like uber successful people. I'm the first person in my, like I put myself through university. And I'm the first person in my family to go to university. Wow. Like I didn't have a lot of people to be like, oh yeah, like when you're reaching for like this insane height, you're going to mess up like 75 times. So like <laughs> I was always like, I had to be perfect. I can't make a mistake. Mm-hmm. And when I made a mistake, it like threw me for a loop for months yeah like i like i love this podcast for that like if you struggle with that be like these people you admire and like oh yeah you missed a bad and here's what you learned from it right. and how that's a totally normal part of your journey is like life changes it's so it's so honest and refreshing and like how is this how is that missing from our yeah. everyday conversations like yeah. here's how i failed i know but we like hide it right we totally do yeah. it's, it's like the instagram highlight reel but like life totally like we're, we're not going to show where we were vulnerable or where we messed up because yeah. like we all messed up yeah it's uh, like an instagram that's just like failures like totally some other social media where you only post your, your failures, no wins allowed. Yeah, yeah. like the JT Firstman, like, seek, tell me your secrets, but like, just for like less awkward, but yeah. just like failures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I love Cherry Bomb. Oh, I haven't listened to that either. I love, so Cherry Bomb is like 100% my favorite magazine. It's women and yeah. food. Yeah. Perfect. And so it's just so inspiring to hear so many stories from like all these like really crazy cool women who like they, they cook, they shoot food, they write food, they, yeah, awesome. everything. Yeah. Okay. I love it. This is my last lefty question. Then we can land this, uh, this, uh, airship here. Okay. So the year is 2022. Your book just came out. People are going crazy. It leads to the school of Desiree Nielsen where it's a boarding school. We're living there. Maybe it's a cult. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like a not a Nexium style cult, yeah, yeah, yeah. like a, like like a, a normal, like yeah, a good one. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so if we were practicing the whole Desiree Nielsen, uh, mind, body, soul, um, you know, wake up to bedtime, what does what does that look like? Okay. So there would be like a gentle consistency in your routine for sure. Like highly recommended to wake up at the same time every day. Yeah. Um, And to wake up early enough that you don't have to immediately do anything. Yeah. Uh, Your body and your nervous system need a gentle start. Uh, Wake up, drink a couple giant glasses of water. Yeah. And do something that is not stressful. So your screen is locked away until, yeah. I don't know, the lockbox magically opens at like <laughs> eight, 8 or 9 a.m. Um, and then you can have uh, whatever whatever you crave. Like, do you want some, do you want a smoothie? Do you want oats? Just some nourishing plant-based breakfast. Probably a really good place to like get your hemp parts in. Yeah. Um, your meal times will be relatively the same. So maybe you're always going to have breakfast around 7.30 and lunch around 1 and like dinner around 6.30 or 7. Yeah. It'll be all fresh, all whole plant foods. Um, but then also there has to be some sort of like 
other food to the day. So yeah. maybe you have a glass of wine, or maybe you have a little cookie, nice. or maybe you have, <laughs> or maybe you have a few chips. Because I think it's really important to note that a hundred percent is never the goal. Yeah. yeah, and so you have to have a really intuitive and comfortable. A sense of eating all of those sorts of foods yeah. in order to be healthy. There's going to be outside time. There's going to be movement. But I think the most important thing is consistency, rest, whole plant foods. Is that too boring? Sign me up. I should have been like, I should have been like, and then at 2 p.m. specifically, <laughs> we're going to have, you know, seven teaspoons of chaga. And, yeah, you know, yeah, there we go. <laughs> But that's, that's, I think that's the thing is like all this other stuff is fun. All this other stuff is refinement. Yeah. But the foundation is where the power is. Yeah. yeah. And it's always way less sexy than you think it is. I love it's just that, like though. eat your plants. Simplicity. <laughs> but honestly, as you're describing it, I'm like, man, that sounds like the perfect day. Mm. Like, you know, a few good meals, not too, not, not, swim. not like not a stressful weekend. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a walk or a run, yeah. you know, like go do some yoga. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay, where is this? Yeah. Where are we? Galliano, obviously. Oh, <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Well, we'll be ready for your retreat, for the, the Eat More Plants retreat in 2022. Yeah. Um, okay. So um, for those tuning in, where can they find you? Yeah. So you can find me on my website. I do a lot of very nerdy deep dive posts on my website. Yeah. So it's DesireeRD.com. Okay. I have a weekly newsletter. Nice work. Um, Consistency. Consistency, and then you can find me on Instagram, Desiree Nielsen RD, uh, and then on my Instagram you can find out how to text me. So you can sign up for my <laughs> very random texts. So yeah. And where can people find your books? Uh, my books are really everywhere. Okay. So ask your local indie, um, yeah. but they're available online at the usual suspects, the Amazons and the Indigos of the world too. Right. Cool. Yeah. Well, Desiree, thank you so much for spending uh, a few hours of your day with us and for coming yeah. up to Stevenson and. You know, thank you for what you do and, and you know, making, making this community a healthier and happier uh, place to, you know, coexist. Well, thank you so much. This is like, I just love, I love chatting with other people who like are into it. I'm like, yeah. yay, it's my people. <laughs> it's, very, it's very fun because what's better than sharing joy around food and being well, right? That's where we all want to be. Honestly, I can't wait. Uh, We'll have to have you back because I know that there's more that we didn't get to. Honestly, even though it feels like we covered so much, (laughs) there's definitely more. um, I think that we want to we want to go and unpack and do the deep dives. So we will have you back for sure uh, for the next book or sooner. Um, But yeah, thank you. That was excellent. And I guess just as a sign off, we'll encourage and remind everybody, eat more plants. deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.